You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Girls, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Stadium Miguel. It's your favorite Uncle Silk. It's Dan and Del Tori. Same corner, same time. Y'all boys in good, good vibrations. How y'all feeling? Uh, just, I know Nick's ready to be. Uh, she's a not to, took off my Kevlar vest after dealing with uh, message boards for a week. Um, been uh, been a hectic week. Um, not a great weekend. And uh, a lot of a lot of unpositive vibrations going around Gator Nation right now, Corey. Well, we've been here before a little bit. This is this is up there though, right? It's in, up there. In terms, of, we... in terms of meltdown weeks, we're up there. We're near the Not top. A bad week, but we went into the fall of like striking out of quarterbacks and didn't get a quarterback. We had a two star that everybody was crying about with, with Kyle Trey. We'll get into that later. How was everybody's weekend? Well, it was. Uh, a very good weekend. I played some golf uh, on Saturday and Sunday, and then mm-hmm. unfortunately our Tampa Bay Lightning, our Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, lost in game six of the Stanley Cup yesterday. Uh, so the Colorado Avalanche have rightfully won uh, the Stanley Cup, uh, dethroning the Lightning after back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. A uh, hell of a run, boys. So um, been a really cool three years. Uh, seeing your team win – the ultimate prize in sports is pretty cool. And mm-hmm. to see him do it back to back years is, is really a, a, a cool thing. Um, and then to see them make it to the finals again in the third year is it's just, it's one of those things that you have to relish and know that you may never see your team there again. Right. So you, you try to enjoy it. Uh, but uh, you know, congrats to the Tampa Bay lightning for a lot of fun memories over the last three years. It uh, must've been devastating for you to watch last night. Silk. Yeah, yeah, man, it was, it was wild, man. The refs was holding the whistle. Yeah, it's a that's a, a great pin, call, Silk. Nah. It's a pin, <laughs> pin, pinstripe cup. Those Avalanche yeah, are bringing yeah, back man. to Colorado, huh? It's a yeah, cup. yeah. No, there was there was definitely some some shaky calls. I had to put out a tweet yesterday because uh, oh. there's a lot of tripping calls that went. See, Nick thought I he caught me I, slipping. Nick thought he, he caught me slipping. There. He did. He did. I said, "Am I on shrooms or is this game a little trippy?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a. Uh, <laughs> I love how Dan said that too. He's like, "Ah." It was so bad that I had to put a tweet. Yeah, out. Like, uh, I had to let the internet know. Dan, Dan Dan Thompson Incorporated had to make a statement. That's right. Game six of the Stanley Cup final. Hey, we're we're in we're in statement time, Nick. We have John Ruiz <laughs> making statements, Gator Collective making statements, Jaden Rashada making statements. It's only well, Dan Dan drives the Zamboni and shit, so he's like damn near CEO. Yeah. Zamboni Dan. Hey, we're gonna get back on. To... We're gonna get back on there next uh, next season. So you guys get your your parkas ready, your snow caps on, and we're going to be riding around on that Zamboni with our name plastered on the Jumbotron. With it. Got it. So so just whipping it around, doing donuts donuts on the Zamboni. Yeah, like it's (laughs) a hell. They're like, hey, man, you got got to get all 200 feet. He's like, no, we're going to be real good right here. I just got to go viral real quick. That's right. How was your weekend, brother? Uh, Outside of recruiting, man, uh, pretty good. Real life was, was was fine, man. A lot of relaxation. Um, got to hang out with family, kids, get some work done. Same old, same old, man. No complaints. 
it's summer, so it's hot. But other than that, man, just been vibing. Well, we got a big episode today. Uh, we are bringing on Florida Gators Athletic Director Scott Strickland today. Uh, so very excited to talk to him. Uh, we talked to him last Thursday, actually, but we'll pretend like we're doing that today. Um, really great conversation. I enjoyed it. I think that he does a, a great job of explaining kind of the future of the SEC, uh, where he thinks the NCAA is going. Certainly, he talks about his time uh, at the University of Florida. We put the interview out on YouTube, so if you checked it out, um, we appreciate it, but also um, a really in-depth, good conversation. Sat down with us for 45 minutes, so we appreciate that. Um, and then we have Morgan Frazier coming on, a former UF gymnast and current attorney that focuses on NIL. So obviously with everything going on in the world uh, today and especially this past weekend, it will be good to chat about the current state of NIL. Uh, but before we do that, let's give a shout out to our friend Alan Horn with State Farm Insurance. If you're in Georgia, Florida, Alabama, or Tennessee, give him a call at 706-692-2888 or visit him at allenhorninsurance.com for your auto, home, renter's life, business insurance, and retirement planning. And allenhorninsurance.com, 706-692-2888. Before we get into the Scott Strickland interview and before we get into the Morgan Frazier interview, uh, Nick Silk, so let's talk about the elephant in the room. Obviously, a couple weeks ago, we had talked about Pittsburgh, California, four-star cornerback. Jane Rashada was going to announce his commitment this past weekend on Sunday. He did announce live on TV that he was going to be committing to the University of Miami. Uh, Nick, we'll let you wear your cap that was on the table. Um. Listen, I'm not here to I'm not here to to beat my chest and and kick kick Gator fans while they're down. Um, it uh, when I said that Florida's gonna be ahead on the table, like Florida actually got back in it. Florida was in it for him. Um, so while what I said what what that might be like six weeks ago now, like that, it seems like a long time ago. Um, right. While I said it was <clears throat> well, what I said turned out to be right. It, it wasn't how you know it had played out when i did say it so uh florida was in it um don't believe you know the crazy numbers that you're seeing out there um it, there's a lot of incentive for somebody who represents an athlete to throw a gigantic number out there help some mm -hmm. future negotiations um i wouldn't say that there wasn't nil deals spoken about but the numbers that you saw uh on sunday night were certainly inflated um and and it's Florida's still in a bad spot. Mm -hmm. Just it's still in a bad spot. Um, I think Zach Albaverde did a really good deep dive on like bump classes um, and and what Urban's looked like, what Muschamps looked like, McElwain, uh, Mullen. Um, so like it's not time to go crazy. Um, your eyebrows should be raised because th this staff was brought in because the last staff couldn't recruit. So you're looking for someone who can recruit and can build and. Six months in, the returns are not good. A lot of time left. Um, it's it's hard. It's hard. No, what what recruiting has what recruiting is has changed. Um, yes. and, and some people aren't progressive. I think I think right now we're just not progressive with how we want to approach this. I know we got like a more of a wait and see type thing with this, and we're limited by somewhat the law uh, mm -hmm. of state of Florida. But uh, we just don't have anything progressive to keep up. Like these guys are offering scholarships. 
um, with and you're hearing some of the numbers that are coming out, whether they're like even if they're halfway true, that's a lot of money to be on the trail with a scholarship. Um, this is coming down to business, man. Um, mm-hmm. Most of this recruiting, you got guys like Cedric Baxter that grew up thinking this is going to be a big three, maybe Bama and Georgia type thing. And Texas is leading the way now in that. Uh, after getting Arch Manning, you can see the, the flows of prediction start to flow for him. Um, and we all know what he's about. It's about business. And I get it. And I understand it. I don't fault any of these kids. But um, I'm slow to criticize the staff and, and their efforts because all the resources Billy got are great for uh, what recru- recruiting used to be. You know, um, they're set up to, to have the, to, to be able to get to these kids uh, as far as information, uh, staying on top of them. The technology, the te- uh, the content that they're putting out, they're staying in touch on social media, all that is on point. Um, but these kids are making decisions on business. And I think Tony Mitchell, dad, came out and said the same thing on social media. Mm-hmm. There was a clip going around with him explaining the same thing. Ford is not talking NIL business like these other schools. Um, and I think that's what we need to tighten up at. I think everybody needs to relax with coming at these coaches. Uh, NIL is different. And I don't think I, – I do think we're in a, in a tough spot, but um, we just got to figure out what – like how it's gonna go down, like you yeah. know, the infrastructure, and I think that's where we at with it. That's my overall take of what recruiting has been this off season. Um, I gotta slow down with my expectations because I don't know mm-hmm. what we're gonna do in the NIL market. The lo- selling the logo is one thing, but you're not selling the logo of past man. It's too much business on the table now. Is the money there? It should be. It's a lot of money yeah. around here. It's University of Florida. I don't. I don't think that Florida's ever had problems with money, and I don't think that they do now. I think. This is my thought on NIL. I think that we're in a very short window of time where very large numbers are getting thrown around and no matter how true they are or not, right? Whether they're 50% true or hundred percent true. I think right now players are going to get the very high end of an NIL deal compared to what I think a few years from now, I think that we're, we're about to open a Pandora's box of large money deals and battling with what happens if a deal goes wrong. And when I mean a deal goes wrong, if, you know, I, Mr. Businessman, give this five-star recruit, you know, X number of dollars, large X number of dollars, and that large X number of dollar player is sitting on the bench or is still sitting behind somebody and is not going to get an opportunity for two or three years or is splitting with somebody that was far less expensive Right. And what happens when the player that I gave a large sum of money for isn't on the field and bringing notoriety to my business and my brand that I'm paying for them to build. Right. So I think that we are going to see a crux here very, very soon where these dollar deals probably start to drop quite a bit, because I think that we're still trying to figure out where in this prism does the dollar figure equate to the amount of money that I'm spending in value. And I still think that right now we're just throwing around a lot of money trying to figure out what that is. Uh, But I do think that these numbers are going to start dropping pretty soon. Um, So I don't blame these agents for throwing around large sums of money uh, as, you know, as advertising and marketing for what they're able to do, because I don't think that we're going to do it for very long. Um, I do think that the market's going to straighten out a little bit because right now this is. Nothing's this been paid nuts. yet, though. Like, I don't know why everybody's like talking about what's been paid and the money's being thrown around. None mm-hmm. of that has been paid yet. It's just right. Uh, and there are some in, in the NIO business, uh, they're saying there may be some upfront money maybe going down, maybe some old bad games, mm-hmm. that, which is still dangerous. And if we're not playing that game, I totally understand it because 
like there's no guarantees. You can still do business up until signing day because all this is business. So if you got a deal that could break something and the season play out, that's still a possibility because it's business on the table. Um, and we've gotten quarterbacks late. It's like we, I said in the intro, but this is not the first time we went into the season uh, with no quarterback really uh, for the class and, and, and the fan base kind of figure out trying to figure out recruiting. Uh, one thing I know, this this logo is going to get blue chip quarterbacks. They're going to find a way to make that happen, mm-hmm. man. Um, whether it's Frank Slate or whatever we make, how, how we do it. If it's uh, Anthony Richardson's made his ranking going up in the rankings mm-hmm. and him becoming a blue chipper, then cool. But they got to find a way. There's no way we go two cycles in a row with no blue chip quarterback after Nick Evers last year and that, that debacle. That um, <clears throat> I think that's also part of the – the frustration with with Rashada is you had Nick Evers and and you get a new coaching staff come in and right. it seems like at the time that they're into it they're fine they're cool with the new coaching staff um, and then he gets pushed out of the class and and you flip a kid from Central Michigan I don't know if it's pushed out is fair I think they they made demands. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably a little bit more to the story, Nick. I mean, you you certainly have conversations that you may have that that ground you in that. But yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Go yeah, ahead. no, I was just gonna say that ground you in that, and then I certainly don't want to tell you that you're wrong. But I do, you know, I think that there's a little bit of push and pull that comes with me offering you a scholarship, you know, sure. opportunity, and I don't know if there was as much pull, you know, as there was pull um, on both sides. And it could have been a mutual decision, right? I mean, Billy Napier is very different than Dan Mullen. Maybe expectations are different. Uh, You never, I mean, that relationship is brand new. I don't think that, you know, Billy Napier and Nick Evers were talking when he was at Louisiana, right? So you're building a new relationship and maybe, you know, what you're looking for and maybe what you're asking for out of your quarterback is different. And, you know, some people might say, hey, you know, I'm not not about that, right? I've got other options. Maybe I don't want to jump through those hoops. But again, not saying that you're wrong. But yeah, that's all finding Danny into the next class. You can't find a quarterback now. You not not like you get the, the, what we got now. The fans are a little bit uneasy. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people are unhinged, which is is sad. <laughs> Wait, uh, you, relax, get it together. So it's it's also different. So like, we're all on Twitter a lot. I'm on the message board a lot because it's my job. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, Gator fans are the worst. And I'm like, the the section that you're interacting with, if you're saying that, the ones that are on mm-hmm. the message board, the ones that are on Twitter, the ones that you're seeing being the loudest, that's not – that's – I mean, it's less than 5% of the overall fan base. Five? Right? Like, that's like two, maybe one. 2%. I, I, I didn't want to say like one because I don't know if that is or isn't. Um, but it's a small fraction of – what the overall fan base is um, and what social media has done has just given people a microphone that maybe shouldn't have a microphone. And, and not only a microphone for them to spew off ridiculous things, and I'm guilty of spewing off ridiculous things, but it's to be able to have basically the phone number of the person that you want to spew ridiculous things to. Right. Yeah, right, um, right. I mean, you've seen multiple members of the staff. Well, at least one, uh, you know, have to tweet about how hard that they're working. Um, you know, we're trolling staff member, not we, but there's people in our fan base trolling staff members, trolling coaches, trolling the athletic department as a whole, right? It's given people direct contact to people and to say that that's not going to affect somebody's psyche or that's not going to cause them to become defensive of their hard work um, is, is laughable, right? I mean, these are real people trying to do real jobs the same way that they don't look over your shoulder at your job and tell you all of the things that you're doing wrong. Right. 
Um, it's just too many layers to things to be adding people, right? It's just too much business going on. It's a lot of layers to all of this to be adding these people and, and blaming them for like recruiting. Right? Hey, you just it's a lot going on. Everybody's trying to learn this space, and 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 as you can see, uh, Florida's reeling a little bit as an organization. Uh, so to become that these people about business. Um, it's just not that simple, man. You got to be a little bit more. I'm asking a lot from like the average person to be a little bit more smart. That's what I think. That's the problem. We asking too much, man. <laughs> just, just <laughs> we when did much. when did like, hey, be a good person. That's a lot. That's that's wild. That's well, I think part of it is like that's realizing what is, what is your tweet gonna do or what is your right. comment gonna solve, right? Um, and I'm not saying that you can't be, be rational, critical, though. right? Be rational, you, though. you have to be rational. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that open letter, right? Um, so last, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, um, an open letter goes out to a database of, I don't know how many UAA um, email addresses um, from Billy Napier announcing a, a variety of things, uh, including a reiteration of how hard they're working, uh, that NIL has changed the game. Uh Nick, I know that you had mentioned, uh, I think on three, that it was uh, a couple of weeks in the works, but uh, are you guys surprised that we're getting an open letter to the fans in, in June, six, seven months after you uh, take on a new role? Yeah, I think it, I, I'm not mad at it just because of the uncertainty of what everything is. I think everybody's uncertain. I think Billy's uncertain with we're recruiting going in this NIL world, and I think the fans are too. So uh, just trying to get everybody just to relax a little bit is it going to work? Probably not. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. Like, you can't go right or wrong. Uh, I'm not mad at his leadership and him addressing it because, it, I mean, it's like an attack, right? Like, the troll mm -hmm. is a little bit, like, different. Um, even with the, the way the media games that played out between all of the attorneys, the agents, whatever you want to call them, it's just a lot going on and the logo is involved. So, I'm not mad at him with, with the way he came out in the past and did an open letter. You know, sometimes you got to address some things. Um, if you bunker down, don't say anything, no press or no letter, then it gets a little bit like, yo, what the hell is going on? This man needs mm -hmm. to say something. So I'm not mad at it. That's my so take. You, so you, neither of you, um, are prescribing to what we were told um, by, it, it, listen, the people that told us, hey, this isn't in response to this week. This isn't in response to one recruit, not in response to the reaction among the social media for mm what's happening in recruiting this is something that we've had planned out for weeks since the spring speaking tour is done to continue to keep an open dialogue nothing he said in there was yeah. different than what he said at any of the stops or anything he said publicly right, since right, right. december 1st i buy that so, on face value i'll take I, face I, value on that I, I i buy that that twitter and the message boards represent a very small selection and, and vocal absolutely you know vocal minority of everything number of people that were on that email list serve right oh um, well, that email <laughs> list goes out to anyone so i bought that's I what bought i mean my, like i bought <laughs> my dad tickets to baseball and i got that email i'm like that's what i mean there's I a couple hundred tickets. there's a couple hundred thousand people that probably got that email yeah right i i don't think that ricky hurtado big fan i don't think that billy napier that group is trying right. to satiate the needs of like 200 right very vocal people i don't think right. the average fan knows no offense nick like on three right i don't think that the average fan that like is just casual that maybe goes to a football game is like 
reading two four seven, right? I mean, you guys cater to the the, the fanatic Fanatics. part of it, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that there's things in that letter that he explained. Uh, I I don't buy that it was to try to calm a a very small group of oh, five hundred people, maybe less. Yeah, I didn't read it, so I thought it was uh, open Larry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the I'll be busy, bro. No, I'll, be, I'll, keep it a, I'll keep it a bean. You know, I'm not gonna yeah. lie to y'all. But I thought it was an open letter to address this. So I, I am uh, I, I am like a little bit uh thrown off now. Uh yeah, I, I take that for face value. He used to email it to who it was for. I thought it was an open letter on Twitter uh from his account or something to be to keep it a bean. Oh no, this is just an email uh that was describing all the hard work that they're doing and how oh, NIL yeah. has changed and who put family and- business out there like that? Who put it on the streets? Let's get them out of here. <laughs> Hey, Auntie, like, Auntie left the crook out and yeah. she was immediately on her Facebook Come page. On, but not all the secrets, Corey. Yeah, um, we losing recipes. The <laughs> the other the other thing is they um I think the timing of it, like listen, like hey, maybe now maybe this isn't the week to do it, but I think they'd already bought ad space um because it was printed in the Gainesville Sun yesterday, like mm-hmm. in the actual physical paper. Right. Uh let, let you know they, they still print a physical paper. I assure you that this is not just Sitting down one day, Ricky Hurtado, who's the football PR guy and Billy Napier on a Wednesday night, saying, "You know what this fan base needs is an open letter. Yeah, you know, yeah. let's let's get to writing, right?" You don't think, um, you don't, you don't think they've seen stink tweets? <laughs> I think Ricky they are Ricky seeing the stink is. tweets. Yeah. Them. <laughs> stink tweets. Oh man! All right, boys. Uh, Silk, get us a Gramco ad read, and then we'll bring Morgan Frazier onto the show. Shout out to the great folks at thegramco.com. Be sure to visit thegramco.com. Use coupon code uh, SG20SG for 25% off. I'm sorry, SG25 for 25% off of all Gramco products. Uh, Gummies, Wake and Bake Coffee, CBD products, um, hard candy. They got it all. Again, SG25 for 25% off of all products. It's all federally legal shipped to your mailbox discreetly hey morgan how you doing good how are you doing great i love it morgan thank you so much for joining us today on stadium and gale for those that don't know morgan frazier is a three-time ncaa champion at uf in the gymnastics program and now works uh with student athlete nil as a general counsel just graduated from george washington university law school where she focuses on legislation, rules, um, discussion and brands around name, image and likeness. So obviously with everything that's happened over the last couple of days in Gator Nation, and certainly as we near the one year anniversary of name, image and likeness legislation here in Florida, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to talk to you a little bit more about your time at UF and then certainly the work that you're doing with NIL. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm super excited for this discussion. Perfect. Well, well before uh, before we get into that, I'm looking at your your Zoom set here. Very impressive. Um, those look like some national championship trophies behind you. Yeah, here. I got my Natty Champ trophies in the back. Got to the SEC banner, I guess, on this side. Um, that was from our first SEC championship my freshman year. I took it as a little memento after we won. Unsure if I was allowed to, but I did it anyway. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's there. Yeah, it's there. 
Um, the leotard behind me is actually, it was gifted to the seniors, my class, so me, Bridget Sloan, Bridget Caquado, and Bianca. Um, that was the first national championship winning leotard that we wore back in 2013. So I guess you can say I got a little bit of a gator shrine behind me, but mm. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Morgan, before we get into the NIL discussion, I want to chat with you a little bit about your time at UF as a gymnast. Talk just a little bit about how, um, I guess, about your gymnastics career and, and how you knew that there was, you know, going to be an opportunity for you to compete at the highest level and ultimately, you know, decide to choose the University of Florida to continue your career. Yeah, so gymnastics is a little bit different situation than football. We were recruited at such a young age. I was recruited when I was 15 years old. So very young, um, and I was even late to the game. A lot of my teammates had already been recruited eighth grade, seventh grade at that time. So I was late in the gate in gymnastics. Florida really came on a chance for me being recruited by them. I was a very good gymnast in the state of Florida. I was ranked top 10 nationally on floor, on beam, and in the all-around. So I had a chance. I just didn't know Florida was always – I didn't know it was in the, in the cards for me. I was being heavily recruited by Georgia, LSU, Michigan. Um, I was leaning towards Georgia, which I'm sure Gator fans mm. probably don't want to hear that. Um, <laughs> so Florida, when Rhonda sent me an email, she sent me an email. I'll never forget the last, this was November. It was for an email I'd sent her in August. And she was like, hey, we have this opportunity just opened up. We'd love for you to come to Gainesville to have a, a conversation with you. So that's when I knew and stepping onto campus, I loved the team. I've always loved the University of Florida. I grew, grew up going to gym meets. I'm from Orlando, so not too far of a drive. We'd have buses that would take us from our, our club gym there as we had multiple girls on the team. Uh, Melanie Sinclair, Amanda Castillo, Ashley Kerr, um, Tiffany Murray, a couple other Gator greats all came from my club gym. So it was fun getting to cheer them on and I loved the swamp. I loved, like I said, the team environment, the opportunities at Florida, Skater Nation in general. All those things led me to commit to UF. And I'm extremely happy that I did. I was an early enrollee. So I graduated high school in December and I started um, at Florida prior to turning even 18 years old. I was still 17 years wow. old. Um, so I was a little baby on campus. But I... Loved it. Very thankful that I was given that opportunity to come. Um, you know, my career at Florida personally didn't work out how I, I wanted it to. I battled numerous injuries. I fractured my back pretty bad. I had three ankle surgeries in under 20 months. So it really didn't work out for me just due to body issues. Mm -hmm. But I still made the best of it. I still... I took on a different role with my teammates. I wanted to be the best in the classroom. I wanted to represent and take any sort of load, pressure, et cetera, stresses off my teammates so that they could perform the best that they can. So a different role. I might not have been, you know, the one scoring the perfect tens, but I still had my job to do. Heavily involved with the student athlete advisory committee. I was historian, then later I was voted president. Um, so heavily involved with I guess internal UF, uh, the board of directors with, at the time, Jeremy Foley, working hand-in-hand -hand with him. 
helping improve just the athlete um, community and well-being generally in general. Uh, so I just did everything, like I said, in my willpower to contribute to be a part of that team and help us win three national championships and, and two SEC championships. Um, Morgan, what was that mentally like for you? Um, obviously, you're uh, ranked top ten nationally as a gymnast. You come to UF, it, you know, you're, you're sidelined with injuries, so you go from you know competing all the time and, and consistently being at the top to to being on the sideline. And I know that that can be tough mentally beyond just the physical piece of it. What was that you know, process like for you in, in dealing with that? Yeah, I mean, honestly. <laughs> It was Florida was the best of times in my life and mm -hmm. the absolute worst time of my life. Like it's, it's hard knowing that your entire dream, I would train 30 plus hours a week from the time I was 10 years old to 17 to achieve my dream of being a collegiate gymnast and to have that taken away. It, it, it affected me greatly, like depression, anxiety, like the eating disorders, you name it, I was dealing with it. And then on top of all of that, I also felt like I couldn't express that in front of people because it's that guilt that, well, I don't want to detract this. I don't want my emotions to show in front of my teammates and they get distracted. Like I'm not competing. I don't want it to be a distraction to them. So bottling it and holding that in from everybody too yeah, it was tough. I felt alone. Um, some teammates obviously knew what I was going through. I confided in them, confided with our, our team trainer. Extremely helpful during that time period. But it was tough. It was, ex it was extremely tough. Um, but honestly, healing from that has only, I think, made me a better person and just the ability to connect with these athletes about, you know, mental health and resources and learning from my mistakes of I should have spoken out I should have talked to more people my teammates uh, confiding in them afterwards them saying we had no idea you're you're like we didn't know um so I'm happy to use my platform now to be a resource for those athletes who are going through similar mental struggles Morgan what was your healing process like what like what what were uh like what did you do to get to that space where you're good now yeah, so therapy. <laughs> I did that in, in college. I saw a therapist. Um, but for me, it was taking time just to reflect internally of, okay, college was just one portion of my life. Like there's no professional gymnastics league. There's nothing like that. And just to be realistic. So applying to law school, like as silly as that seems, that actually helped me heal and when like moving away from the state of Florida, I was going on to something bigger mm -hmm. and better. I was leaving purpose. that next chapter. I had a different purpose, yes. Mm -hmm. But also reaching back out to my teammates because I did feel like a fraud. I did always have that sense of guilt saying that I was a national champion because you know my name wasn't listed as the perfect 10 or the 9975s. Mm -hmm. So reaching out, uh, one of my best friends, Bridget Sloan, is actually a bridesmaid in my upcoming wedding. She she really helped me. I was frank with her and she said, no, Morgan, we needed you. Like you had that role to play that no one else could do. You were integral in this way. And that to me helped so much with my my healing journey and, and getting past just getting that recognition from my teammates. That's really, uh, I think they call it like imposter syndrome, but that's really interesting to hear from you because it's, 
you know, I joked before, I'm like, look at that. You've got a, a leotard from the national championship, these trophies behind you. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that goes on in a student athlete's mind is just like, we don't think about it um, unless you've gone through it and, and you put in the hours and the time. And um, like you said, it, it doesn't go the way you had it envisioned. You don't really think about that. You're like, Oh, well, Morgan Frazier. Yeah. She was a national champ, multi-time national champion. Like she, she must've had a blast, um, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah. And I, I did like, I, I did have a blast. It was great, but it was still like that imposter syndrome. But now like looking back, know healing from and it, it's cool to be I was a part of a very special time in Gator athletics history and Florida gymnastics history and nothing could take that nothing like no one no person can take that away from me which it's getting me a long couple like many years to get to this point to be able to feel comfortable saying that but I am very thankful for what I experienced at Florida Nice. I love that. So, um, Morgan, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you're doing now. Um, so go to George Washington, great law school. Um, saw that you interned with the Players Association for MLS. Um, and now you're working uh, with, and I just want to make sure that I get the name right, Student Athlete NIL. Um, and I also know that you guys held your first annual NIL summit. So You've been with them for about a year. We're just over or just right about the year that, that NIL legislation went into effect here in Florida and a number of other places. Talk to us a little bit about what your organization is doing and then a little bit about that NIL summit that you all just had. Yeah. So Synathlete and NIL, or Sunil for short, we're pretty much an agency of records for brands and other collectives as they enter the NIL space. So we do a lot of consulting with them. Um Anything that they might need, we'll do. So on the collective side, that's, I mean, an extremely hot topic. We'll meet with groups of donors, boosters, whatever term you want to use for it, it's all, you know, the same. Uh, we help them form collectives, manage the back end, you know, from A to Z. On the brand side, a lot of it has been focused with the NIL Summit, giving these brands a larger plat platform to have these discussions in front of student athletes of, what does it take to be successful in this field? But not in like, I guess, different ones. So like Celsius, they were concerned with, you know, ROI, they had their brand ambassador program. They were using the summit as almost a recruiting tool to meet and greet with athletes, to do, go over elevator pitches with athletes, read mm -hmm. resumes, excited to see who fits in their brand. And Vesco, completely different. They were all about, you know, financial literacy. What do you need to know now? Cool, you've made X amount of money. How can you invest that money? How can you save? How can you set yourself up for success? So we were really working with these brands to figure out, you know, this session, the summits, you know, it's our event, but we also want it to be yours as well. You're just as big as a stakeholder as we are in this area. And, and how can we work together to crush it so that everybody gets, you know, the, the ROI that they want? So we're about a year into NIL um, across the country. Has it gone kind of as everybody anticipated over the last year? Sure. <laughs> I mean, sure. Uh, <laughs> I think everybody had a, a different view of what NIL would look like. And it's been interesting to see how it's been playing out. I think in like the collective sphere, as well as I think people were disappointed and at least in the beginning that all of these brands weren't jumping on NIL deals with athletes. It took a very long time for these brands to come around. But if you look at it, NIL came July 1st, like brands didn't really have the heads up 
Some mm-hmm. might have, but they didn't have NIL dollars structured and factored into their marketing like plans. They didn't have that. So now I think year two, it will be interesting to see more brands jump into it, but more niche brands like focused on specific sports, like for golf, tennis, gymnastics, et cetera. I think that's where we're going to see the the majority of brands jump in are more of those like niche brands versus like the Nikes, Adidas, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we saw that a little bit in baseball and it's probably a sport mm-hmm. like a gymnastics. Like there's, uh, I grew up playing baseball. So like I see uh, a product called grinds and it's like coffee instead of dip instead of like smokeless tobacco, it's uh, formulated the same way, but it's just coffee grinds and pouches. Um, oh, and nice. you see a bunch of baseball players getting sponsored by that. Cause that's, the space that grinds is in. So I think like you just said, like the niche um, products that, Hey, a football player might not want to go out there and get tackled with coffee in his mouth. Um, but a baseball player trying not to, or trying to stop dipping would need that. Or from um, falling asleep. That too. That too. Thanks, Dan. Um, it, um, but I think that's the, the space that maybe we are not looking at. Cause a lot of Gator fans are like, why isn't Gatorade throwing $10 million at this quarterback to get him to come? And I'm like, well, there's, a company is looking for a return on investment and they're looking for, okay, it doesn't make sense. A leotard company doesn't make sense to sign a football player. It's like, that's not yeah. our market. Definitely. And now too, like some of the earlier brands that hopped in, like we've had discussions with them, just like, what were your regrets of NIL? And they said, Oh, we really were just looking at the number of followers. Mm-hmm. We weren't getting hmm. to know the athletes that we were signing. So yes, said, let's just say a quarterback, for instance, could have 500,000 followers. But if he doesn't have a high engagement rate with this following, if he can't really connect with the audience that the brand is trying to reach, that's a wash. They're not getting yeah. any sort of ROI from them. And at the summit, you know, brands were preaching. Yes, like we're looking to see if like, if we're a match, like online dating, do we <laughs> right. have the same values? What does your audience connect with our audience? Could you bring us a different audience, one that we're trying to get to, but also they're looking at what schools are you at? Is the school that you're at and where you're from, the demographic that we're trying to reach, the states that we're trying to reach, the region, et cetera. Are you a star player? Some of the larger brands are looking at that. Like, do you have the ability to capitalize and get a large audience? But also, can you hold a conversation with us? That is a huge part that's being overlooked too, especially with these kids who are spokespersons and friends. Can you talk to an audience? Like, can you talk to us? Can you talk to an audience? Can you convey a message? Are you, you sound intelligent? Things along this line, media training. And that's what to me is what's exciting to see. Like, hey, how are these athletes now going to capitalize on what they learned and become almost like many PR agencies, boosting mm-hmm. themselves up that way? That's a whole new area where I think the the student athlete needs to be educated and to learn because mm-hmm. there might be, just like you said, you know, uh, social media, it, these apps will just give you what your engagement is. And you just take a screenshot of that and you send it to somebody. Um, but there's probably a lot of companies that just saw, you know, half a million followers. Hey, that's going to be great for us. Um, but there's a lot more like you just, you just detailed that goes um, into that. What kind of work are you guys doing or can be done to – help the athletes market themselves and, and you know I mean, make their name a brand. And, and then once they've done that, then be able to pitch that brand to um, a company. Yes. Yeah, so the NIL summit, just one tool 
ideally we want to grow that to where it's like comic con it's like south by southwest a huge conference for every athlete who can go to get to to learn these schools about how to best set yourself up for monetization once you get that how do you capitalize it and then how do you further that for the future so that is what we're, we're trying to grow i think year one was huge success super excited we had a, a lot of gators there which was great to see um but then also working with different collectives on this education piece partnering with advanced nil courtney ultimus luke bedlam awesome individuals they're great uh luke's an expert all things legal courtney financial but then we come in and what we're planning on doing is having nil power hours i guess with these athletes focusing on these different aspects of nil and doing deeper dives once a week with these athletes but also with the community at large because the largest thing right now is education mm -hmm. and, real, real quick i'm sorry go ahead Morgan. yeah no 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 you're good okay real quick what what what's the uh, what's it like getting these guys to show up for that type of education is it like mandatory by the schools and the programs or they are they um what, what is your outreach like and, and what's your success rate so it depends uh it depends on what the school can do and that just boils down to state law a lot of schools are just in the gray area of, of what they can and cannot do but for us it's more so like i go and say like word of mouth with the athlete athletes but our account executives reaching out to the team captains and getting them all on board, like almost like division one, the SAC model. Like we go to meetings, one rep per team, then take that information back to the team and whoever wants it, wants it. Um, like not everybody's interested in NIL. Some athletes are only interested in certain aspects of NIL. Um, so that's what we're doing now, working though with schools to create curriculum and that athletes can take though for credit so that's one thing i mm. state that we're helping consult with mm. morgan i want to ask you and this is probably going to be geared more towards basketball and football just you know as we're talking about size of deals and everything else um a lot of state laws that were written regarding nil were kind of purposefully nebulous or or with a lot of gray area for the courts to kind of decide you know where we go um over the last year there's there's certainly been some clarification on some things but for the most part it's still a bit nebulous how long do you think until we get kind of a more clear picture of what's the most sustainable long-term NIL model? I wish I knew I'd be a yeah. millionaire if I knew that question. Um, I don't think honestly anything will be sustainable until the federal government kicks in mm. and creates legislation. Who knows when that will happen, if that will happen. Um, Cause they don't, they, they've not shown any real interest, right? I no, mean, there's been there's a couple been, things, but. They're, they really haven't. Um, well, they, well they, the NCAA went to them and, and Congress they, was like, hey, we're going to look at your antitrust status. And, and NCAA was like, you know what? We don't <laughs> don't worry about this NIL yeah. stuff. We got it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And it, it seems like, too, whenever there's a dead period, like something big happens in the news and, you know, they, they get distracted. But I think a couple of things will have to come into place. Like I'm interested athletes just had to file taxes for the first time. I think it'll be interesting to see what the IRS does because the NCAA may not investigate, but Uncle Sam will. They'll come after you. Um, 
I think it'll be interesting to see what these pending lawsuits, like the Johnson case that's out there, um, the National College Players Association, to see what, I mean, that's against the NLRB, but then we have Johnson, you know, saying that athletes should be paid under the Fair Labor Standards Act, um, FLSHA. Um, so I think that will tilt the shift, but also no athlete has filed as of like two days ago for the NLRB unfair labor charges. And I don't know if you guys are caught up, but a couple of months ago, the NLRB basically issued a memo stating that, you know, at least private universities, they could be looked into as employees of the school, soon athletes. And it was basically, it was opening up the door for litigation and for that to come in. So that's what I'm interested to see if any of these athletes will jump on that and file unfair labor charges. I think a, a mix of things will have to come together for there to be federal legislation. What are your thoughts on the sustainability right now? I know that we said it's probably not going to be sustainable until they get involved, but you know, in at least in the football world, we're seeing huge numbers getting thrown around. We have agents involved. Um, yeah. We have deals that are apparently being talked about before a player enrolls, which is in violation of whatever NCAA rules they've chosen to follow that day. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of the current state of what we're hearing in the, the football world and maybe basketball world at least? I mean, I think it's sustainable right now. I think collectives, if there's a power five who doesn't have a collective, that a school, they're behind the game. By next year, every power five institution will have a collective, whether it's for all sports or just sports, specific sports, like a football, basketball, baseball, et cetera, collective. That's sustainable for now. Um, I think it will just depend upon... I mean, two different factors. How does it affect recruiting and will the NCAA actually look into and punish some schools who are in violation? Um, but also, how will the ROI be defined and how will that affect the investment that these donors are putting into the collectives? I mean, the, the market will eventually correct itself, but that's what I'm very interested in seeing for year two, especially with this new football season coming up. What do you... Um, now knowing everything that you know, what would you, uh, or I guess if you take away everything you know now, what would 17-year-old Morgan have done with an opportunity um, to make money off of her name, image, likeness, and, and being on a team that was as successful as you guys were? Man, I, see, it's a hard question because back 2013, it wasn't a creator economy. Mm -hmm. So looking through that lens, Probably not. I think it would have come from like Gainesville clothing shops or restaurants, et cetera, like Chipotle. I don't think it would have been more so like the social media just because that wasn't, wasn't really a thing. 2013, we were all still using like that grainy, uh, yeah, that grainy stock Instagram filter that if you, <laughs> if you opened up Instagram, you're like, oh, everyone has the same weird Polaroid camera, huh? Yeah, it so I don't think it would have necessarily been like big social, but in the lens that it is today, you know, back to back to back national champions. I mean, I think I probably would have gotten some smaller deals, uh, but at least it would have given me money to put away and, and save mm -hmm. more for law school, which would have been nice. 
but I just, I wouldn't have been like the star on my team. I just, I would have been a, a side hustler. How, how much does, does your experience though, I guess, benefit you now in, in your role? Um, and just knowing what opportunities that there are, um, what opportunities that there could be, knowing what it's like to be a student athlete. I think it's a unique position. I mean, there's not many attorneys out here like me in this NIL space who are former athletes, very few. Um, and I think I'm also, I'm young. I can connect with these athletes. They feel comfortable talking with me I'm at the summit. Some of them still thought I was an athlete, which I was <laughs> very thankful thank, for. Thank you. <laughs> this is great. Um, but no, it's great because I am able to give them frank advice and they can ask me open questions that they don't feel comfortable asking their coaches or other, say, licensed attorneys, other professionals. Granted, I can't give them the advice just given I'm not licensed in Florida. I'm not licensed in certain state. Like, I'm not your attorney, um, but general advice. But also, like, going back to like, the mental health. Like, I had a wonderful conversation with Sarah Fuller, which I'm sure you guys remember, the Vandy soccer player turned kicker, just about all this. And she was asking me questions that she's like, wow, like, I haven't even thought about how mental health could play in, in this certain area. Can I get your number and explore this further with you? So just being able to form those connections but also having the, the more meaningful conversations that's that's been great for for my position i mean i've been helping these athletes almost giving back because i one of my big things of wanting to work in athletics was it gave me so much in life and i want to i want to use it as a way to give back professionally so if i can do this by at least mentoring consulting with counseling whatever it may be like i'm very happy to do that but the frank conversations that's that's what I'm having right now with these athletes. You muted, Dan. Thanks so much, Morgan. Sorry about that. Um, wanted to, to, I guess, wrap up with, with a final question, at least for me, what do you think? And I know that you, you, you said that um, most colleges and, and universities are at least, you know, division one will have collectives by, um, you know, this year, if not, you know, hopefully by the end of next year for, for all of those schools, but what do you see next over the next, you know, year, two years for NIL um, as we, you know, look, you know, down the path? Yeah, so I think in the future, the conversation is going to ramp up as to whether athletes should be classified as employees. That mm -hmm. conversation is just going to keep growing. Um, collective bargaining, a lot of conversations like that right now. What will it look like? What will college athletics look like? Who will be the leader? All of those questions. Um, my biggest concern is where does Title IX fit in all of this? How will Title IX be affected by all of this? Um, on paper, Title IX is the strongest force in college athletics, but what does that mean? What does that mean if they become employees? I think that that's what scares me. So obviously, I, I want female athletes, non-revenue producing men's sports, women's sports to be protected in the case that athletes are considered employees or whatever that may look like. So that's, I think, the future from a, a legal standpoint that I'm my sites are, are set to and what I'm interested in. Um, but it, until then, I just think we'll see more or less the same, like in the collective news of how is it affecting the transfer portal? 
how will it affect the transfer portal after this year? What's going to be the chatter when Texas doesn't do well this year, hopefully? Mm. Or USC, like what is that going to look like? That's what I'm interested in seeing. Um, i got to stay tuned, though. I love it. Maureen, let us know where everybody can follow you on uh, social media. Um, and then thanks so much for your time. Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at S. Morgan Frazier. Feel free to shoot me a DM. Happy to talk about all things NIL. Well, thank, uh, thanks. Thanks, so much. For, thanks for hanging out with us, Morgan. I appreciate it. Well, great conversation. Thank you so thank much. You, Best of luck with everything. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Bye. Great conversation with Morgan Frazier. Uh, boys, before we get too much deeper, do you want to just do the Scott Strickland interview now? It's a good time. Yeah. Why not? All right. Perfect. Bite to bite. Back to back interview sponsored by our friends over at Homefield Apparel. Visit them, homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code Stadium and Gale at checkout. Get 15% off of your order. Again, a couple of new Florida shirts just dropped, including the Florida baseball script logo. They have a men's. Uh, and women's track and field t-shirt that just came out. That's really cool. Uh, 17 different individual UF items, homefieldapparel.com, promo code stadium and Gale at checkout. I believe they're at 50 ish schools now. Uh, so if you have a friend, relative, coworker, uh, neighbor, whomever you might buy a gift for visit homefieldapparel.com, promo code stadium and Gale. And let's get in to the Scott Strickland interview. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. All right. Now we're excited to welcome Florida Gators Athletic Director Scott Strickland to the show. Scott, super excited to have you this afternoon, and uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hope you're doing well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Scott, um, we like to get everybody's origin story when they come on uh, to Stadium and Gale, whether it's as a player, whether it's as a coach. Uh, you came to the University of Florida back in 2016, obviously had an illustrious career, um, you know, spanning, you know, being athletic director at Mississippi State. Ultimately, when you decided to, to make the move over to Florida and to take over for Jeremy Foley, what was your thought process? Obviously, I'm sure you've gotten offered, you know, a number of opportunities in the past, but what was it about Florida that, that made you excited to, to ultimately make the jump? Um, so like I'd been a, I became AD at Mississippi State in 2010 and in 2013 was the first time another school called to see if I had any interest and, uh, an ACC school, uh, or a search firm representing an ACC school called and I, um, asked if I would have an interest and I, you know, it's kind of flattering when, when, you know, somebody reaches out as you guys probably know, we're just in business. It's always kind of nice. Uh, if there's some interest somewhere. So I took a night and slept on it and uh, called the guy back the next day and said, you know, I really appreciate it. It was, it's, you know, it's a school that has a, has a nice reputation athletically and uh, bigger, bigger budget, more resources than what we have at Mississippi state. I said, but you know, I'm, I'm an SEC guy. Uh, I want to be in the SEC and I'd rather, you know, stay here and, and be at Mississippi state and be in the SEC than go and, you know, try to do something in another conference. And so that conversation kind of led me to start thinking, okay, where would you go for, you know, if that's your parameters. 
And, um, I, you know, Florida was at the top of that list. You know, Kentucky was a place because I had worked there for five years that I thought maybe in the right circumstance, just familiarity. Um, and, but really, Florida was one place I thought if that ever, if there was ever an opportunity there, that's the one place I, I would be interested in going. I, did, I didn't want to go anywhere in the West and have to compete with Mississippi State all the time in every sport. <laughs> Um, so it'd have to be somewhere in the East and Florida just was always, I tell people it's that shining city on the Hill, right? The Gators, uh, represented, um, you know, all, all that was good in college athletics. You could do things the right way. You could have high level success, live in a great state, be a part of a great university. So that was my thought process then never dreaming that that opportunity would come because I knew when that job came open, there'd be a lot of interest from a lot of people and there'd be a lot of options for the university of Florida. So uh, 2016, when it came open, um, you know, there was a lot of people involved in that process. And uh, I think I, I don't think it's any shock or surprise. I don't think I was uh, the first person approached. Um, but, you know, I was I was when I was approached, I was I was excited to talk about the opportunity and feel really blessed and fortunate that that it worked out. I, it's it's kind of cliche to say that this is the only place you would have I would have left for. But. I can't imagine very many other places I would have considered leaving for. And some people don't want to like replace, be the next uh, like guy, right? Um, like when Urban might leave, you don't want to be the guy to replace that guy. Right. Uh, Jeremy Foley's leaving, who's one of the greatest uh, athletic athletic directors in our mind. Uh, you you got to replace him. You weren't nervous about that at all. You know, Jeremy, uh, I think is the best of all time. He's, you know, you're exactly right. He is a legend and someone that I looked up to and admired quite a bit. Um, if Jeremy had not encouraged me in this, I don't know, uh, Corey, if I would have uh, may have had the confidence to do it um, because you're right. It is, it is intimidating to follow a guy like Jeremy, but having been here now and gone through, you know, different uh, hiring processes, anyone who comes into the university of Florida is going to have some really big shoes to fill that were here ahead of you at some point. It may not have been right. exactly right before you, right. but you start going down the list of all of our, of all of our current coaches, um, you know, how, how many of them followed someone who had already been really successful? Not not universally, but nearly. I mean, there's a lot of examples. So you look at just in the last year, you know, Billy Napier, you're, you're following. You're, he's sitting in the same office that Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer sat in. And, you know, Todd Golden sitting in the same seat that Billy Donovan sat in. Um, you can go down the list of, of all the different championships that have been won in different sports. You know, J.C. Deacon followed Buddy Alexander and Penny Rowland uh, followed Ronda Fane. I mean, there's just it's, so you've you've kind of got to be wired a certain way to where you understand that that's not going to bother you. And, um, you know, you're aware of the success and tradition. You do feel uh, I don't want to say pressure. You feel an obligation to try to build upon that. But you also understand you're not replacing that person. You know, right. the way I describe it when I'm when I'm interviewing people for jobs is. The UAA and the University of Florida, um, because it's uh, the way it is and has the culture it has, we're we don't like we're not like giving you Billy Donovan's seat, Todd Golden. We're just making another seat available at the table for you to create your own legacy here. And you're going to be building off what Billy did, but you're going to have your own seat. And so I don't really feel like I was replacing Jeremy. They just made another room and room for another seat at the table, if you will, and they let me sit sit in that seat and. Uh, at the same time, to be at a place where you have someone like Jeremy uh, available to, to be uh, a resource to provide uh, 
advice whenever, you know, something comes up that he's been through that maybe I haven't, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, my ego is, is such that, um, is in check that I, I have no problem at all taking advice from other people who have done this before. And, um, I've always said if, if I'm fortunate to be at Florida for an extended period of time and there's a high level of success and Jeremy Foley gets all the credit for the success for what he did for the 25 years he was athletic director, that's going to be just fine with me because the Gators will have been doing really well. Perfect. Uh, Scott, I've got a follow-up question. We had Jeremy Foley on uh, probably two months ago or so. Uh, sorry, I lost my voice at the Lightning game yesterday. Um, so we had Jeremy Foley on a couple months ago, and we talked about that transition from him stepping down as athletic director but sticking around uh, the athletic department. And I know Jeremy's involved in some consulting and doing some things uh, on the side on his own and doing some some personal coaching. Uh, but what's that relationship been like, you know, over the last six or so years with, with Jeremy Foley, you know, still around, but obviously you having the reins of the athletic department? Um. I think it's been a real advantage. I can't imagine um, another athletic director, current athletic director, having someone who's the kind of resource Jeremy is at your, you know, at your fingertips. Um, and, uh, and, and where, and to have someone like Jeremy and the fact that his only concern is that the Gators do well, right? Jeremy's not trying to, you know, he doesn't want to see me not do as well. So his legacy can be, can be better. You know, he doesn't want to see the Gators not be as successful as possible because it somehow may make him look better. His whole concern is uh, to try to help the University of Florida like it's always been. And so to have someone like that, you know, he and I had a relationship before I came to the University of Florida, just being in the league together. And uh, he was a guy that I, I sought advice from uh, when I was athletic director at Mississippi State. And um, he was always incredibly um, generous with his time and advice. The other thing about Jeremy, though, he also doesn't you know, uh, necessarily offer advice unsolicited. So, you know, the, the way the relationship work is I've works is I've, I've got to have something on my mind that I want to go approach him about. And uh, the good news is we get along, we enjoy each other's company. Um, you know, we'll go out and have dinner together or grab lunch together. And just, it's very natural. It doesn't feel like a work relationship as much as it feels like a a friendship and just happen to have a friend who's has a lot of experience in doing what I do for a living. Um, the transition over from Mississippi State to University of Florida, did uh, what were you, what was your mindset like? Uh, because obviously those are two different programs. What was the biggest difference uh, when you got to the University of Florida and how you was going to run that then Mississippi State? Well, the and besides the resources, Corey, I would I would say the um, the size and quality of our staff is different than most athletic departments have even in the sec and um and i'm not just talking about coaches i'm talking about the administrative staff whether that's academics compliance the business office uh you know operations you can go down the list media relations um we have so many experienced talented people and so many of them um have been doing what they do for a long time so they have unbelievable experience most most places corey most schools even in the SEC, Mississippi State was certainly one of these, you had the ability to find talented people, but often it was hard to retain those talented people. And so you have a churn in key positions because if you got someone who's really good, chances are somebody else is going to recognize that and come try to hire them in a few years. Right. Florida is a unique situation where you have a chance to re- attract the really talented people and retain them. And so that was uh, – 
a real that's a real luxury and and something that um was was a real difference um from other places i had been so that that was one you know uh, big change um you know a lot of the job is very similar uh, the expectations are different and you know there's there's I knew that coming in, right? That's why you come to the University of Florida is because you want those expectations and you want to be in a place that's winning, you know, national championships and finishing the top five in the Rector's Cup and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's there's you know there were some there were some um, culturally it's a little different, you know, a place like Mississippi State. Uh, it's a small state, but there's no pro sports. Uh, the two SEC schools are kind of the primary sports franchises in that state. And so even though it's a smaller uh, population, um, there's a lot of attention, relatively speaking, placed on those two schools. Uh, you know, we have Gator Nation is huge, but it's a big state. And we have uh, a much more eclectic population. People from all over have come to Florida. Uh, people who brought, uh, you know, connections to other schools, you know, in the Midwest or up north or out west or wherever they're from makes it a little bit more of a melting pot. And so there's um, the just kind of uh, understanding that and understanding that not everybody ne necessarily looks at everything through the same prism here like they might in a place like Mississippi. Uh, just makes your communication uh, a little bit different just because you're having to you're having to speak to a, a, a more diverse uh, uh, fan base. Uh, but one of the things that's really cool about the University of Florida, as you guys know, and something I really enjoyed finding out is, is you learn a lot through that diversity, right? You learn a lot. Gators who are from South Florida may have a different view than Gators who are from the Panhandle or from, you know, the Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville circle. Um, you know, I like to tell people we have good old fashioned rednecks who are Gator fans as well, just like everyone else in the SEC does. It's, but it's, it's just a much, it's a much more diverse fan base. Uh, part of that is because of the size, but because of it, a lot of it is the state of Florida is that way as well. So um, I've enjoyed that, but that has made it, it's just a little different than what I've experienced in the past. Scott, professionally, um, not to say anything bad about Mississippi State, but professionally, obviously, you made that jump um, and, and Florida is a huge job. But personally, how difficult was it for you um, to leave Mississippi State and, and to leave Mississippi? Um, your family still there. Um, just personally, what was that? I guess, was there an internal struggle? Um, yeah, that was, that was a challenge. Um, you know, a lot of prayer went into that, Nick, honestly, uh, you know, because that is, uh, you know, everyone in my family who's gone to college went there and, and everyone in my wife's family has gone there. My, my father-in-law has a banner hanging in the Coliseum there and a street named after him on that campus. Um, can you go back to Thanksgiving? Yeah, they, they let me come back. <laughs> oh, okay. It's interesting. Uh, I will tell you, you talk about being self-conscious. The first couple of times I went back there, uh, just being in the town, I was incredibly self-conscious. That uh, that has gone. That has diminished in my mind. Other people may, you know, feel differently, but it, uh, you know, time has a way of. Uh, Making you not I imagine you wearing one of those like joke glasses with like the nose and the mustache, like going first time back in the Absolutely. start. Though. Yeah, I was I was uh, wearing very neutral colors and no orange or blue. It was very <laughs> a lot of black. Um, you know, it's I've got I've got uh, a daughter who's in school there who went back to school there, and I have another one who's going to be heading there. It's you know, it's a great it's a great university and um, much smaller campus, and you know, for some students that that's a fit. And I think with my daughters, that was the case. Um, but the the family thing was was really hard in the moment. Um, it's you know it it has 
those those struggles have, have you know diminished the longer I've been here. Um, and I'm I've, I'm still really close to a lot of people there. But but it was it's hard to tell somebody that uh, you care about that that you're leaving, right? right. So I, I care about that school because it's where I went to school and because of the family connections, and I care about the people there. And so some some people didn't really understand why you would leave. It's, you know they 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 think their school is the best, and and you know. Um, I, I was making a professional decision. It wasn't a personal decision, but most people see their university as a personal mm-hmm. uh, part of their life. And so that, that makes it hard. Scott, I want to ask a question. I know when you came to, to Florida, you know, and, and folks were, were doing research on your background, you know, at Mississippi State, uh, Mississippi State pardon me, you, you did a lot of fundraising. You uh, helped improve a lot of facilities. And obviously during your, you know, six years here at Florida, you, you've done a lot of the same. You, you're, you're known as a, ter- a tenacious fundraiser, pardon me. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you guys decide you know, priority list, because I know that you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions. A lot of sports want a lot of things. You've built a new uh, baseball facility. You've built, uh, you're building a, a football only facility right now. You've made a lot of improvements at Ben Hill Griffin, but, but how do you guys determine priority to make sure that, you know, everybody feels like their um, needs are being met? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. Um, it's, that's probably more art than science. A lot of it has to do with uh, areas of greatest need. Uh, end up getting a lot of the attention. You know, the the ballpark, the baseball uh, facility, the new Conjuring ballpark here um, is a great illustration of how you want uh, a comprehensive plan where everything connects. And so, um, you know, when I first got here, the, the plan was to renovate McKeithen and, and to build the football complex where the throws area is on the north side of the track and field complex adjacent to 2nd Avenue there. And, you know, the longer we looked at that, the less sense that made because that footprint for the football building really wasn't going to be adequate. Wasn't really sure we were going to be able to make the kind of impact at McKeith and you wanted to make with the renovation. And so um, when the, the, the thought was, what if we could build the new football complex where McKeith and Stadium is, and then you could go do something with a new ballpark that really solved a lot of issues that, that you had with the old baseball stadium, um, you know, that, that sounds really great. And that's what we end up doing. That sounds really easy, but then you got to figure out how you're going to pay for that because that's, we just doubled the price of both of, of the total projects combined by doing that. Um, but the, you know, a lot of times you, you do, you, you're trying to do things sequentially um, because that's, that's the way it makes sense to come online. The most important thing when you do facilities is do something that's going to have lasting value. And so we could have done the football facility uh, adjacent to the track there on the north end of the track and probably had it open two or three years ago. But if we had done that today, we'd be trying to figure out how to make it, how to, how to do something different because it would not have uh, provided what the University of Florida's football program needed long-term. It would have been a short-term fix. If you're going to spend, I think at that time, the budget was $50 million. If you're going to spend that kind of money, you need to do something that's going to have longer lasting value, even if it means it's going to cost more initially. So instead of a $50 million project, we're doing an $85 million project and it's going to be there for a long, long time in the right location. So um, you want to make sure that what you're doing is, is a good use of the the resources that people are entrusting you with and trusting the university with. And, uh, and then really look at where, you know, you look at where their needs are and and we've tried to to do that. You do want to touch all your sports over a period of time. Um, 
there's two or three locker rooms, probably maybe a couple more than that, that we, we still need to touch here in the next couple of years. And those aren't major projects sometimes, obviously with the, the Hebner football training center, it's a, the locker room is part of that. And that is a huge project. We just built a brand new uh, soccer expansion of lacrosse that includes a new locker room for soccer. That's an $8 million project. That was fairly significant, but we're also going in right now and spending, you know, a couple million to renovate the swimming and dive locker rooms. That doesn't get a lot of attention, but uh, you know, you, you want all of your athletes over a period of time to, to have their areas uh, affected in a positive way when you're going through your facility projects. And then how can you make it as good as possible for your, for your fan base? Because, um, you know, they're the ones who support the enterprise of college athletics. And how can we, how can we do things that impact their game day experience? And um, if they're, if uh, they're enjoying themselves, hopefully they'll continue to support the program so we can continue to reinvest our, our resources. Is it, is it frustrating for you at all? Um, Cause there's a large segment of fans that just want football and hey, we just need to take care of football. Um, but you and Jeremy have both taken pride in the non-revenue sports, taking pride in winning championships. Uh, you were, you were there with mouse uh, winning his 400th uh, national championship. I've lost count. Um, but is it ever frustrating because there are, and as the athletic director, you get to know student athletes. So it's not just, Oh, that's the swimming team. It's, Oh, I know the girl that's diving. I know those people. Right. Is it ever frustrating when, you're, you're doing stuff like that, like uh, the lacrosse and the soccer locker room that's going to impact um, those students' lives and people just want to be, hey, well, when's Ben Hill Griffin getting done? Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't get frustrated by that. I understand those are the sports that um, fans engage with, right? Their football drives a lot of what we do from a fan engagement standpoint. Men's basketball is probably next. Baseball, softball might be right behind that. And then the other sports – uh, have pockets of support, but it's not obviously near what football gets. So I totally understand um, why fans may feel that way. And if we were a professional sport uh, franchise, that's what we'd be doing. But we're not. We're on a university campus. We're here to support um, our, our student athletes. Um, the University of Florida feels it's important that that we're successful in everything we touch, and or we at least try to be successful. And we have a we have a plan to try to be successful in everything we do. Um, candidly. That's why, going back to that earlier conversation about why the University of Florida, that's why you'd want to come to the University of Florida is because you want to be good in everything. Um, the other part of it, and you touched on it, Nick, is, you know, how do we, how would we uh, do everything we can to create this unbelievable experience so our football program be, can be highly successful and then look at, um, you know, an Olympic swimmer or a national champion track and field athlete and say, you know, you don't, you're not as valuable. So we're not going to we're not going to provide you these same resources so your experience can be at a championship level. I, you know, that's just um, fundamentally. I don't believe in that. I, I don't think that's right. But I, again, I understand. I'm not frustrated by fans who feel that way, that all they care about is the football team winning football games. I want the football game team to win football games just as much. Here's the great thing at the University of Florida. I don't think we're sacrificing a football team success because we're supporting a swim dive program or a baseball program or a gymnastics program or whatever it is. I think we have the resources here where we can be successful in all of those sports and history would prove that that's the case. Well, Scott, what do you think about uh, right now? The biggest, like, if you, if you cut on Twitter right now or any social media app or go on a message board, the biggest concern with the, uh, uh, Florida fan base, especially when it comes to football, is us keeping up with the NIL race and what what that's becoming. I know Florida coaches are put behind and programs are put behind the eight ball with what they can do with NIL. Uh, what do you, how do you feel about our place and with, with everybody else in the country and how we're recruiting 
and keeping up with uh, everybody else, Georgia, who we're competing with um, and how they're recruiting. You know, Corey, I, I think until we go through a couple cycles with this, we're not going to really know where everybody is. I would advise everyone to uh, be a little mistrustful of anything you read on the internet related to name, image, and likeness and what somebody else may be doing. Unless it's on um, my Twitter account. That's, that's just. Well, let's <laughs> niche with that. Then, then more skepticism than ever. <laughs> Yeah. The, the only, and really, the only thing on Nick's t- Twitter account you should really trust is exit velocity. Everything else, even there, is a little suspicious, I think. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Corey, back to your question. I, I think whatever model gets created around name, image, and likeness, the University of Florida is really well positioned to take advantage of it because we have, you know, four, over 400,000 living alumni. We're in a state of 21 million people. We have one of the strongest brands in all of college athletics. We have the strongest sports brand in the state of Florida. Um, we're going to be successful in this space. We're not going to use um, NIL as a direct recruiting inducement. By direct, I mean, if you come here, we'll pay you X through NIL because it's illegal, right? That's why we're not going to do it. So, that, But are we going to have a really robust name, image, and likeness program that students who, who come here understand that they're going to be able to take advantage of and participate in? And are we going to be able to use that as an advantage? I think the answer is yes. But um, so much of this is is uncharted territory, and we're still candidly um, figuring out. And I say we, I'm not talking about the University of Florida. I mean, everyone in college athletics is mm-hmm. still is still navigating this and trying to figure out how it all, how it all fits together. And and I'll you know I'll read something about uh, a high profile school that's doing you know people say they're doing X. And I know the people at those school and I talk to them and they are they are their hairs on fire because they don't think they have it figured out. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for having a plan of how you want your want to run your program, um, for being uh, smart about how you go into new areas like name, image and likeness and and then being willing to adapt as you get into it. And we've adapted since July 1 of last year. Right. We've now 12 months. Um, you know, we start off saying, you know, we can't do anything with this. And if athletes have sponsorship opportunities, that's up to them to, you know, heck, we have a collective that's a official university sponsor right now in the Gator Collective. We were, I think, one of the first schools that did that. Um, so we've, we've gotten a lot more comfortable with those conversations. Um, you know, the, the state law of Florida says we cannot cause compensation. And NCAA rule says we can't use it as direct recruiting inducements. But everything else is wide open. And I encourage fans who have an interest in that space to find a way to get involved in it. They've got to do it the right way. Um, I would, you know, it's safest if they engage our current athletes. We have a lot of our current athletes who have done really well with name, image, and likeness, which I think is a sign that uh, Florida is going to be a big player in that space. What do you, what, what happens with the boosters? So let's say Dan is uh 70-year-old big Gator booster, and he's given millions of dollars to UF boosters or to UF. Um, and in his whole life, he loves the Gators, but he's always been told you can't pay the athletes. And now you're telling him, or you've got a football coach, Billy Napier's been very active with NIL. How do you tell Dan, hey, we can pay the players now, and we need you to move that money elsewhere. The check needs to go somewhere else. What is it education to boosters um, because it's so new? And, and, and how do you handle – um, I guess there's probably several hands reaching out to boosters now, you know, with a new one with NIL. Right. 
Well, obviously, we've had a lot of people ask questions. We've had a lot of communication with with uh, with supporters, people who have been really generous to the university over the years, uh, to try to make sure they understand what what the new landscape is and what it all means, and and if they want to participate, um, maybe give them some direction on what that could look like within the rules. Um, you know, a lot of the people who give, they give because their giving is tied to uh, a ticket-related purchase. And so a, a lot of them are going to be motivated to, to continue to, to do that ticket-related gift mm -hmm. because they want to continue to get their the seats that they've always had. So uh, there are people who are in those positions who have, uh, my guess is, are participating in NIL opportunities, and they're doing it outside of that. Um, the key for any of this, I think, and I think this is the gist of what you're asking is um, for the University of Florida to be successful, the any NIL money that's coming in has needs to be new money. This needs to doesn't need to be dollars redirected within our current ecosystem, whether through sponsorships or donations. It needs to be new dollars. Hmm. Um, that's where the fact that we have 400,000 living alumni, uh, they have a degree that's highly valuable. Many of them have done really well in life. Um, we have we have a very deep pool of individuals who can provide new dollars into the ecosystem, if you will, to help the the, the Gators continue to be successful while also um, providing some opportunities for our student athletes in the NIL space that where they couldn't before. And I, I can tell you, we've had people who have names on buildings who have my understanding is they participate in NIL opportunities uh, and they've done it over and above what they've been doing in the past. Scott, I want to ask you uh, another question. It's kind of lingering that, you know, because somewhat related to NIL, but, you know, it's just kind of been boiling over for the last, you know, probably three or four years now has been kind of the NCAA's role. The NCAA obviously didn't do much in regard to NIL, and they, they kind of let state legislatures pass, you know, legislation that would allow different states to operate in different ways. Uh, enforcement has been something that there's been a lot of question marks uh, about over the last year. Where do you continue to see the NCAA's role as you start to introduce name, image, and likeness, as the SEC continues to grow, as we start to merge into what seem to be more bigger super conferences, but ultimately the NCAA's role over the next 10 years? Dan, that's a great question. I'm not really sure how to answer that. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the, the role the NCAA has done really well through the years is, is run championships. Um, they've, they've, uh, they, they've been the legislative bureaucratic arm. I'm not sure how well that, that has been managed because of the scope and size of, you know, we have a thousand schools, I'm sorry. Yeah. A thousand schools that make up the NCAA over th about 350 in division one alone, about 130 that play division one FBS football. Um, there's a reason why pro sport leagues don't have 130 teams in them because that's, that's a lot. You have a lot of different schools, have a lot of different stations in life that you're trying to come up with rules that fit everybody. And that just doesn't really work well. So I'm not sure how good they've done on the, on the, the legislative piece. Um, and I'm, and, and then the other thing is enforcement. I'm not sure how, how well they've done the enforcement either. So um, I guess there's going to still be a, continue to be a role for them in championships. Although my guess is based on the Supreme court ruling that came out last year, combined with um the, the transformation committee that's going on. I know when people hear that, their eyes probably glaze over, but I think a lot of the work the transformation committee is going to do is going to push a lot of the rulemaking authority down to the actual conferences, which is also what the Supreme Court ruling kind of encouraged. 
so I, I think I think the SEC is going to be where the University of Florida continues to anchor ourselves, not only from a uh, competition and revenue generation standpoint, but from a governance standpoint. And I think that's only going to continue to grow and, and get stronger. That that's where that relationship is going to be. Um, I assume we'll continue to have national competitions from a postseason standpoint. But um, if you look at, you know, basically this is creating a free market approach among conferences. Mm-hmm. And one conference may pass a rule that says, you know, we'll use the sport of baseball because Nick Nick's obviously a big baseball guy. Right now, the NCAA says Division One schools can have 11.7 scholarships for the sport of baseball. Well, one of the transformation committee um, um, proposals is maybe each conference can decide what their scholarship limitations are. So maybe the SEC decides in the sport of baseball, that's going to be 25 full scholarships that, that we can give out in the sport of baseball. Or maybe another conference decides, well, we're only going to give 20. Or maybe they say we're going to give 40. You know, there, there, may, there may be less uniformity going forward, but every conference can make its own decision. But I think because of that, we're going to, you're going to see more of a free market approach among the conferences. Mm. Obviously, the SEC and probably the Big Ten are the best position um, if we're going, to, going it alone to make decisions that, that might separate us a little bit from, from the rest of the crowd. Interesting. Um, Scott, one final question to you, kind of somewhat tangentially related. Uh, the college football playoff has been something that, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, questions about what the future of that looks like, whether to expand it, whether to keep it the same. Uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, expanding the college football playoff or just the playoff as a whole? Um, I believe we need uh, more meaningful postseason opportunities. And um, when I say that, that's really code for we need more playoff opportunities, right? Um, we need more teams late in the year to feel like they have a legitimate chance of making the playoffs. And one loss or two losses is not going to eliminate you from that consideration. Um, you know, really what that does, not only does it does it make more teams and, uh, feel like they have a chance late, it really incentivizes teams to have a better regular season. So right now, and this is not just football, we do this in all sports because we have – postseason opportunities dictated by what a committee decides. So think about this. Imagine the NFL on the Monday after the NFL regular season ended, if teams had to wait for some committee out of New York to come and decide who's playing in the NFL playoffs and and when they're playing and who's at home. They don't do that because they have a, they have standings and they play each other exclusively. So they, they have tiebreakers. They don't need people's opinion dictating who's in the playoff. They have an objective way to measure who's going to make the playoffs. We don't do that in college athletics. We let some people in a room come up with opinions to determine who goes to playoff. And what that does is it encourages teams oftentimes to play weaker regular season schedules to try to impress a committee, which makes the regular season less enjoyable for fans and players alike. So what I think we need to do is figure out how can we create a postseason model that rewards people for playing the kind of regular season that players and fans both want to be a part of and follow. So I threw out this idea of what if we had an SEC only playoff and we had an 18 playoff and we'll let our champion go play someone else. Right. And like the, you know, we'll be the, we'll be the old AFL or the old NFL. And we'll go play someone else's champion. And, you know, history has shown the last 20 something years, you can't really have a national championship unless an SEC team is in it. You can't have a national championship if it's only SEC teams because that's happened a few times, right? So, right. 
Um, now I know people go, well, that's not what college athletics is about. And that's not, you know, I, but boy, that would, we would have no reason not to play a 10, 11 game conference schedule in that scenario, because your own postseason is determined by how you do against SEC teams and no one's opinions matter. It's just win loss record. So that's, I'm using that as an example to say that's a model where the regular season would be really positively impacted by a postseason format that didn't, um, reward schools for going out and playing weak non-conference games. Um, so that that's probably uh, an extreme example, but in my mind, playing having more uh, playoff postseason opportunities uh, would allow more teams in and would probably make pe- schools feel better about playing a better regular season schedule. Obviously we're trying to do that here. We played, we're playing Utah the first game of the year. Um, you know, that, I don't know how smart that was in a four-team format, but we're doing it anyway. Uh, I do think it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have a great crowd. It'll be a great energy in the swamp for that home opener. Um, but as, as if, if and when the field expands, I think more and more teams will feel comfortable doing that. And at the end of the day, that's, I think that's healthy for the sport. If I think, I think the landscape kind of changed when, when the power five, um, gain autonomy um and, and you've talked openly about you think we're not even moving to a power five it's it's really uh the big 10 and the sec are kind of even in a different position than than the other three in, in the power five so what does that even look like then if we're talking about a playoff expansion if you're going to look at like a free market and, and these conferences are going to be able to make their own rules and, and now you're not playing by one set of rules and and you've got you're playing different game and, and now maybe it doesn't make sense to have, for instance, the PAC 12 have the same kind of say that the SEC or the big 10 does it. How does that changing landscape of college football change? Even the conversation we're having now, does it make the conversation we're having now about expanding the playoff irrelevant? Um, You know, I don't know if it makes it irrelevant. I, I think it's uh, probably a step on the way to, the further evolution of, of what uh, the top level of college football looks like. You know, the, the Texas and Oklahoma decision to, to approach the SEC last year about membership is, is a telling sign because that's basically what we just – what we described is a situation where one or two leagues becomes really strong, mm-hmm. and, and then the next step is other schools who aren't in those leagues want to be a part of that. And so the SEC, obviously, we our league through great leadership of Commissioner Kramer and Slav and now Sankey have positioned ourselves to be a really strong league to the point where University of Oklahoma, the University of Texas decided they wanted to approach us about membership. And we thought they were a good fit. So we accepted we took that them on. Um, could you see that happen with others down the road as other grant of rights and TV contracts expire in, in the years ahead? I would not be surprised to see that and um, where the, where the stronger conferences continue to get stronger. So when people talk about, you know, I hear people, I hear even hear colleagues talk about FBS breaking away from the NCAA. I don't really understand what that does. I don't see how that solves the issue. Um, I do think having conference with, when conferences have more autonomy individually, not collectively individually to make their own decisions um, you're going to see further stratification as we talked about. And I, I, um, those conferences, the stratification may not just be around scholarship count. It may also be about 
postseason opportunity or even what postseason looks like, or maybe it's about, maybe you do away with automatic qualifiers, you know, maybe it's, you know, there's, you know, sport of, uh, you know, sport like basketball, maybe auto, there aren't as many automatic qualifiers going forward. You know, there, I don't know, I'm just speculating, but those are the kind of conversations I think you could see come of all, come out of all this. Um, Scott, I want to ask you a question. I, I think I know the answer is going to be, it hasn't been decided yet, but have they, decided how to integrate uh, Oklahoma and Texas into into conferences and how that's going to ultimately play out? There's been a lot of conversation. Obviously, uh, every sport gets affected on some way because you're adding, um, you know, it's not just football, even though that's where my right. folks are from, but you're, they're obviously coming in and basketball and soccer and gymnastics and everything else. So there, there's been a lot of conversations. Some of those sports, it seems a little uh, – more, uh, I don't want to say simple, but more obvious what the solution should be. Uh, football is the one that everybody is focused on, and um, there's you know, obviously a debate. I don't think it's any secret between eight-game eight, eight conference schedules, nine-game conference schedules. Um, we, we aren't at a decision point. I do think the two things we need to, to that would really help with a timeline and on a final decision – related to uh, the future SEC schedule is actually when they're coming. Right now we know 25. If there's any chance at all they, they might come earlier, that could impact a, a timeline and a decision for obvious reasons. And the other thing is what we talked about earlier, what's the postseason format is going to be. So we, we know the next four years, starting when 22, we know we're going to have a 14 playoff, just like we've had the last eight years. But starting in 26, the fall of 26, there's no college football postseason format. It doesn't exist. There's no contract for anything. And before we decide what the future SEC schedule is going to look like, it probably makes a lot of sense to see if we can get some more uh, information about what what the postseason format is going to be. It goes back to the earlier conversation we had about, you know, making people maybe feel more comfortable about playing better regular season or, or better quality competition in the regular season. So those are the two things. When are they coming? And what's the postseason going to look like? I think once we have – uh, a better understanding of those two things, we you'll you'll see a decision come a lot quicker. Perfect. And Scott, I know that we are we're up against the clock now. Definitely want to thank you for your time uh, this afternoon and getting to know you a little bit more and, and hearing your thoughts uh, and wisdom. And thank you so much for for your time. I look forward to continuing to root on the Gators, and uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Go Gators. Thanks a lot, Scott. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Gentlemen, we are back. Thank you, Mr. Strickland, for your time. Nick, Silk, how do you think the interview went? Any thoughts from that interview that you want to carry away? Uh, I had plenty more questions, plenty more yeah. time, but I do want the fans to know that it's only a certain amount of time we could get them. Uh, and a certain, and we can't ask, ask absolutely everything we, we we want to, man. Uh, I know we're gonna get some replies about, hey, you guys didn't ask him about this or that, man. But overall, let him off the hook. Let, we, we let him <laughs> off the hook, man. And also, this was before that conversation was before uh, all the the whiffs, man. So cut us some slack. Um, <laughs> I, we get that a lot. I, I, you get that a lot in uh, the podcast space, in the journalist space. Um, typically, uh, I remember this. Uh, I remember it, you know, when I when I 
was negative to Will Muschamp uh, my first year in 2013. He had, he was just coming off of almost uh, a Notre Dame a Notre Dame loss away from playing for a national championship, and, right. and I I was like, hey, losing to Miami is embarrassing. He shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have lost this game. Fans were like, who's this clown? Get him out of here. Um, and then I couldn't be negative enough the rest of the year when it's four. Yeah, and now so your nickname's negative Nick, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy, yeah. You it's know? a bag. It's a bag. <laughs> that's uh, a that's the that's the bag that I've chosen. It's the bag you chose, man. <laughs> um, Kickers and negativity, man. So it's a wild bag. It's it's punters. Punters and negativity. I mean, no no offense, man. No offense to the punters. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it'll it'll happen. And like, there's a lot of you know, open up like a, a message board thing for a press conference. And it's, Hey, ask so-and-so why he's a, a dickhead in this. And you're like, all right, well, I'm not, I'm not going to address the football coach at his press conference. Hey, dickhead, why aren't you doing better in recruiting? Like there's ways to ask questions. Um, but like you Silk said, also uh, there's time restraints uh, and Florida hadn't, uh, swung and whipped on three straight fastballs. <laughs> it's all good, man. We've been here before, man. We're gonna gather. We're gonna gather the troops, man. We're gonna do what we gotta do, man. Everybody just stay. Just stay out of the, the coaches' mentions, man. That's just weird. Y'all just vibe out. Yeah, we we are excited though. We have a lot of great interviews in the upcoming weeks. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, big names that we're just working through some scheduling. Uh, issues with that we're super excited to bring on to this show. We've got a couple former Florida Gator legends that will be joining us in the not too distant future. I mean, if you are interested in hearing a good interview uh, that I really enjoyed this morning, uh, check out uh, Silk's show, The Roll Up, uh, where they interviewed D Webb. I thought it was a great conversation. Really gave a different angle uh, on a lot of interviews that that we probably we would have gotten into some of it, but but they hung out heavy today. So go check that out. But I appreciate we got that, we got a lot of great content uh, for you guys. Let's get into some of the news in uh, Gator Sports, Gator recruiting. Um, probably the big news that that came out. Um, actually, you know what? We'll do this kind of in order. Um, the Gators did grab a commitment from Isaiah Nixon, six foot four, uh, 225 pound edge from Lakewood High School in St. Pete. Uh, we mentioned last week that he was a guy that I uh, had committed from UCF at the time, and it looked very positive. He had just come off his official visit from the University of Florida that he was likely going to announce. Uh, he did make that announcement on. Uh, last, I believe it was last Tuesday, so about a week ago, uh, he announced his commitment to the University of Florida, four-star, uh, ranked 167th on on threes consensus, uh, the number 23 defensive end, uh, number 34 player in Florida. Uh, Nick Silk, any thoughts on Isaiah Nixon? Oh, uh, good, good. Uh, I'm glad they pressed him. You know, he's been a little bit lackadaisical on um, kid. Uh, grew up Gator fan. The offer. Uh, you know, he was one he was waiting on. So um it kind of happened all fast. He decommitted and then flipped the next day. So I'm just glad they pressing. It was, it was right on time. Um We got mm-hmm. a couple guys in the trenches. But uh, I like to take he earned the offer at a camp, which was, which yeah. was dope. What's your overall uh, take, um Nick? And he's rating, he's ranked pretty good, too. So it's not yeah. like like it's, it's – I'm not a star chaser type guy, but uh it checks all the boxes for us, like the ranking and whatnot, keep the fans a little chill. Not yeah. Um, project. Hometown kid, right from Buholz here. Um, nope, wrong kid, Nick. Nope, this is the one from this is the one from Lakewood High School in St. Pete. You see, got, got got mixed up. Um, 
we got a couple guys, like you said, got a couple guys in the trenches. Um, have seen the offensive linemen and, and the way that they're getting them. It, it's, I think it's good. Florida's what? Where are they up to now? Seven, eight commits. Uh, let sure. me. You caught know. me a little off guard there. Yeah, the number, I don't know the number is that. Yeah. You, you chose uh, that path, man. So now you got to give it to us. There you go. Eight. 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 Um, right. You know, you've gotten uh, two Isaiah Nixon um, from Lakewood, like you said. It, it's interesting to see a kid because he's got the stars, like you said. So four, um, our, uh, on three, we have him as the 167th player in the country. Um it's just interesting to see that it, there wasn't like a oh now we're getting kids to flip from UCF because I think it I think at least people did recognize like hey this is a good player um, and, and hopefully one that'll stick it six four two twenty five big kid um, watched a little bit of his film from Corey's from Corey Bender's story um, but but I like to take. Yeah, no, I definitely like to take. I think a lot of people were very surprised a few months ago. I think I mentioned on the show last week that he committed to UCF. Uh, but Gators get a good one. Uh, those are the kind of guys that you want to get. Obviously, um, you want to add him with a couple other elite players. But I like his film, and I think that he's going to make an impact here at the University of Florida, currently ranked on on three as the Gators' highest rank commitment. Um, and we're then – Restore oh, a little order, man. Let everybody know what it is. UCF is still UCF. When we want stuff, we just go over there and just – you know, pick it off the tree. That's right. Well, speaking of UCF on Friday, uh, Demarcus Bowman um, announced, uh, and I know I'm skipping, you know, we'll talk about this. So uh, on Friday, uh, Demarcus Bowman announced that he would be entering the transfer portal. uh, And then today on Monday announced that he's going uh, to attend the university of central Florida. Um, Demarcus Bowman uh, transfer from Clemson came to Florida, had very high hopes, former five-star out of uh, Lakeland here in Florida. Um, and is now decided to attend UCF. Uh, guys, what are your thoughts there? Uh, are you guys surprised? Uh, did it catch you a little off guard? Uh, what are your thoughts on, ultimately on the DeMarcus Bowman situation as we close that chapter? Maybe we'll have to talk about the whole article. I mean, not article, but the, the whole dis- dismissal at this point of everybody to kind of get into uh, our takes of that. Um, so all three were three guys were dismissed. Uh, Finley Graham, two of the Lakeland guys, Finley Graham and uh, DeMarcus Bowman. Um, not a whole lot of explanations, and staffs never really explain when they do stuff like this. It's it's really like to protect the players. So, um, my overall take is you know just let down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Bowman coming from from Clemson, we all had high hopes of you know flashes of what he did and mm-hmm. at, at Lakeland, and also uh, when he got on campus, he had some highlights in practice. So we got to see some flashes then, but we never got to see it on on the actual field. Doing games, man. So it's unfortunate they didn't work out, but um, this it's, this thing is fragile. What Billy's on right now, uh, as far as recruiting, uh, keeping the guys in the fold, winning the locker room, uh, all of that is very important, man. And 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 if there's guys not following the room, I mean, it's one thing losing recruits. If you you lose that locker room early in this thing, and players not respecting you for holding up the rules and holding players accountable, you can lose more than just recruits. You know that we could bounce back on. Um, so I. I if players not following rules, bro, you got to hold players accountable. It's not babysitting. It's not high school. And that seems to be the case, man, from what I'm hearing. So um, him going to UCF, uh, I hope he gets it together. I, does he have to sit out a year? Because this is the second transfer. I believe I so. I believe, yeah. Yeah, see. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I hope he figures it out because I'm a fan of Bowman regardless, man. I want all these kids to, to absolutely make it, man. But I'm just a little disappointed, man. Just like it didn't work out. 
It um it, it can go bad. <laughs> I mean, you you just you sat down with Janoris a couple weeks ago. Uh, right. Will Muschamp tried to make an example out of him. You would have loved to have him on, on uh, you know, Jackrabbit on the roster uh, for right. any of those teams. Um, but I agree with you. Like, I think so. The the bylaw that uh that I'm told that that they're using because Florida was above. I think I have them at 90 or 91 scholarships. Um, right. NCAA bylaw 15.5.1.7 named aid after departure of a head coach. Essentially, and Lincoln Riley did this at USC. I think with 10 10 plus guys. Um, you can just straight up cut a kid. Tell him like, hey. Uh, you're not going to be on our football team. Um, this bylaw will allow the university to keep you on scholarship. So if you just love USC, um, and I think F- USC had three guys that did, if you just love Florida, you can say, that's cool. You're going to pay for my books, tuition, room, board. I'm going to get a degree from the University of Florida, and that's good enough for me. Can't play football. Can't play another sport. Um, but you don't have to leave, and and, and your financial situation isn't going to change. Um, but it also gives – let somebody go and, and go to another school. Um, and, and right now, um, and we can talk about the portal and how crazy it's gotten. I like that players are, you know, aren't being held to a school that like coaches aren't even held to staying. And if a coach cuts you in, in the past, you'd have had to transfer, sit out a year, mm-hmm. lose a year of eligibility. Um, right. So I'm glad they don't have to do that now, but I think I still have Florida at like 86 scholarships. So uh, yeah, I, I think that we still have some more. Um, Silk mentioned it. Um, Demarcus Bowman is also joined by Mordecai McDaniel, uh, Chris Thomas, and Fenley Graham. Um, I've seen officially that Chris Thomas and Fenley Graham have entered the transfer portal. Haven't heard if Mordecai McDaniel has. I would imagine that he will be. Um, he is certainly the one with the most playing time out of that group. Uh, there was some initial rumors that Marcus Burke was uh, a part of that list that has since been um, told that was false. Um, but the Gators do lose Mordecai McDaniel, Chris Thomas, Finley Graham, and Demarcus Bowman. And I would imagine that we can expect at least a few more uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> with Marcus Burke, I, it, we were, we all uh, just got some bad information from Florida. Um Hearing the backstory on that, it was initially that he was going to be cut and some some leaders, some some voices on the team, um, guys like an Anthony Richardson, a Javon Dexter, uh, made a case to Billy. Um, so it, it was – he uh, Burke was initially, nice. from what we heard, was going to get cut. And, and some of the guys who – you know I don't know what they call it, but let's say like a leadership council, guys who have been identified by the staff and by their fellow teammates as – these are the guys that are going to speak for the team uh, made a case for Marcus Burke. So he's got another chance and, and you, you want to see these kids like Silk just said, I hope Bowman figures it out and, and, and finish his career. Great at UCF. You want to see these kids figure it out and, and, and reach their maximum potential. Yeah. Another thing I want to say to whether it's academics or whatever that these kids, these kids are going through, man, when these, when these universities are, are recruiting them, they tell them the resources that they have at disposal. Um, you got to be humble enough to ask for help, whether it's academics, uh, uh, mental health, physical health, whatever it may be, whatever your situation is. There's enough resources around you to get help. Um, but you got to want to help yourself, man. These schools are not going to babysit anybody, man. And, and and all of this is, you know, it's not a privilege. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a right, man. People people work hard to go to these schools, bro. So, you know, a shot to Burke for getting that second chance and, and the teammates for, for trying to keep him in the fold. But, 
So in real life, man, the boss don't be giving you second chances like that, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to happen in the real world, bro. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Gators also grabbed uh, over the weekend a commitment from Buholtz High School uh, defensive lineman Gavin Hill. Uh, actually, a really cool video of Gavin Hill, um, uh, dad hearing the news uh, that he was being offered a scholarship. So definitely encourage you to seek that video out. Uh, we'll certainly share it on the Steve Miguel timeline. Uh, six foot three, 245 pound. Go ahead. Dad, dads don't be getting excited like that, though, man. I'd have been, I'd have been lit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, I think he was, was a little shit. shocked. Sorry, I didn't know where yeah, you were going. I think you could I'd definitely tell that there was a uh, an emotional wave that overtook him. Yeah, he was like a little chill, probably <laughs> like a surprise. But bro, I'd have been, I'd have been screaming in Billy ear, man. Let's go. Yeah, let's go, buddy. Let's get it. But it was a dope, was a dope moment, man. It was a dope moment. I'm glad they captured that. Uh, Pops was probably at work or something, man, because he wasn't on yeah. the visit, man. So. I thought that was dope shit stuff. Oh, bad yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Um, yeah. 259th ranked overall player on the on three consensus four star. Uh, they haven't ranked as the 37th uh, best defensive lineman in the 52nd best player in Florida. Uh, body bagged uh, Mario Cristobal in Miami uh, to grab that commitment. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly a, uh, a highly ranked guy, uh, a guy in UF's backyard earned himself an offer not too long ago. Um, so really uh, a good get in my opinion, uh, for UF. I think that he's going to be a guy that, that has a, a pretty strong career, has a good frame, can grow into that frame. Um, I think that he's going to be a good player at the university of Florida. I'm very high on, on Gavin Hill. And again, a guy who, you know, unless you follow recruiting very, very closely, might be a guy whose name just popped up on your radar. And maybe you're wondering, you know, why did it take, you know, Florida so long to offer a guy that's so close? I mean, you have to remember that just because he's close doesn't mean that there's been a huge opportunity in the seven, eight months that Billy Napier and that staff have been there to review everybody's tape. So uh, he went on to campus, earned himself a scholarship, and now, you know, has earned himself an opportunity as a lifelong Gator fan uh, to put on uh, the orange and blue. And then finally, gentlemen, we have the meltdown. Nick, I know we talked a little bit about it, but we have hat on the table, Nick, there. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, Nick put himself a little coffee table or a little uh, nightstand. Uh, put a hat. We're not hat on the table, man. It's Bush League. Um, Don't take credit for that, bro. What? Yeah, I, I, obviously, we talked about it at the beginning of the show uh, that Jaden Rashada is going to University of Miami, uh, chose them over UF, Ole Miss. Uh, Texas A&M, Oregon. Uh, what's your opinion and everything that that's followed since that commitment? Um, he went on to CBS, announced his commitment since then. We've had multiple tweets by conflicting attorneys kind of a attacking each other. Uh, we've had John Ruiz, who has been connected to an on three article about the amount of money that they're giving Jane Rashada. We've seen some recanting of uh, who's associated with giving money uh, written in, in a Jeremy Crabtree on three article. We had Jane Rashada today uh, putting out a statement. Um, kind of what's your thought on the, on the last 24 hours or so since Jane Rashad is committed and, and everything associated with it beyond just where he's going to school. So uh, go Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, it um it's 
I mean, first off, good for him. Like that's yeah, you made your college commitment. That's a huge deal um, mm-hmm. for any player, not just a quarterback. Um, so good for him. Wish him well. Um, very, very impressed by him, by the way, in that the, the commitment video. Mm-hmm. Um, very well spoken. Very grateful. Very uh, thoughtful. Um, just a, a very good commitment. I thought, uh, just as an individual. Yeah, um, and, and I've never spoken to him personally, but it seems like a kid with a good head on his shoulders. Um, mm-hmm. It does seem, it did seem like there were uh, other people and other things driving the commitment at times, um, driving the recruitment at times. Um, So hope that he um, is himself, the person that has to go to school, go to class, wake up and and do uh, the workouts and the training and all that. Hope that it's a decision that he's happy with, um, truthfully. Um, For Florida fans, I think by the time, and it was interesting. I think I put it in like our, in our DMS and I put it on our message board. Um, I was when the commitment got pushed back, I, I got, I got from a good source that he was going to go to Miami and I put it out. I kind of put it on our message board. I was like, Hey, he's going to go to, he's going to take a trip to Miami. And we say it all the time. You want to be the last visit. So like when Rashada had a commitment date of the 18th and he was going to be at Florida right before that and not take any other official visits. Cause he had the seven on seven. Um, you felt really good, and I think once it, once it got pushed back and he was going to go to Miami, I thought, okay, it's it's this is this is where it gets weird. This is where things start changing. So, I think for the most part, um, we we were prepared. The three of us were prepared um, to know <laughs> what what decision was going to happen by Sunday. Um, that doesn't mean you know the fan, even if they're being told by somebody. Um, who has, you know, knowledge of the situation doesn't mean you can't be mad about it still. Um, I get that. I'm never going to tell you how to feel, but I think I just knew, just knew what it was by the, you know, well before four o'clock on Sunday or four 30, whenever he showed up. Mm-hmm. What, what's your thought on, and, and so I want you to jump in as well, but what are your yes. thoughts on, on everything since then? Right. Um, you know, kind of the conflicting, you know, the, the the comments by, you know, multiple attorneys. You have an on three article that's throwing around numbers that multiple parties are saying aren't true. Um, and I'm not asking you to dis- disparage your, uh, you know, employer, certainly. But, um, you know, you, you kind of almost have a pissing contest between attorneys on on different right. sides and, and trying to navigate what's true, what's not true. Um, and then ultimately you end with a commitment or uh, with what Jane Rashad of the commitment you know, having to come out and say, hey, you know, everything that I did was, you know, my choice and this is what I'm looking for. And, um, you know, but, you know, still in the background, no matter what his commitment or what his note said, you still know that there's NIL discussions that are happening that are, you know, technically against the NCAA rules. That's the game. It's just the mm-hmm. game. Another, the bad game is just like more blatant. Like now you can do it more blatantly than it was in the past. Um, I'm not mad at the business that 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 business is taking place. It's just sloppy business, you know what I'm saying? Like I think everybody should um, pursue like business in, in, in NIL and, and get the best situation they can for them and their family. But uh, this was just like a little different, man. Um, and it got a little. It felt like it got nasty, and it was ego involved in it. Um, at the end of the day, uh, after everything was said and done. Uh, he ends up at Miami and all the, the, the backlash or or like you said, the back and forth between the lawyers is going down. Mm-hmm. I'm out of it mentally at this point. You know, like we've mm-hmm. lost a kid. Like none of none of this is going to get to commit. They can figure out the legalities of, of who's wrong, who's right. I don't think mm-hmm. NCAA is going to do a thing. Um, 
but I think some of these parents need to be a little bit cautious about who they're doing business with. Um, most of these people haven't operated in the NIL space before because NIL is new. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, what are you gonna do? Like, I, I don't, I don't get what the gripe is and the bickering and the fighting back and forth about it at this point. Like, um, as as collective wise, NIL wise, our side, what we got as as a Gator family, whatever we got going on. I think he's just trying to move forward, see what's the next on the quarterback mm-hmm. board, and figure out the NIL, how we gonna uh, operate in this space, man. But man, after all of it's done, I don't get what's like what we're trying to accomplish at this point with the bickering, bro. It's yeah, I feel like we've we've kind of lost ourselves in the sauce, right? I mean, it, it took it didn't take very long. Hey, it's, uh, it's, I like I like them protecting uh, the, uh, them defending them their name and all of that. No, like, they sure. had to do it after because they didn't start. It's like the Gator Collective didn't put anything out in the press, and mm-hmm. that's not how this started. So I do respect them for you know uh, putting out a a letter as well, saying like, no, we haven't negotiated with this guy. It's not what it was. Uh, it's just not true. And I, and I like that from Heitner and the collective. Um, but like everybody involved at this point, um, once you defend to me, I'm just like, it's time to move on, man, and just figure out, you know, family business, bro. Like, bigger and back and forth. They'll figure that. Let the lawyers figure that out. Yeah. Um, it, definitely, um, that's yeah, that's yeah. also a thing, though. Like, lawyers, like, this is the job is a lot of the job is posturing and arguing. And, no, sure. and, and, and like I said, like, well, hey, it's it advertising a, and marketing, right? It makes I mean, an advertising and marketing. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. If I negotiated Dan's deal to be, to still be the third podcaster on Stadium and Gale, hey, I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put that number out. They'll yeah. put a number out there that I want to be out there. You're still going to take uh, the 13% cut? Yeah. Well, uh, see, I, w- I would love, I would love to add a gigantic contract <laughs> and take the 13%. <laughs> we will advocate for you, Dan. Um, it makes sense. And and whether that's based on reality doesn't matter because it's sometimes perception is reality. And if you say something now that becomes a perception. Um, Mm -hmm. but it, I think it, first off, it wasn't Gators online that posted posted the story. Um, which, uh, I got, (laughs) we, we were getting some flack and I was like, man, I haven't even read the story yet. What am I, what what am I getting yelled at? Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of posturing and, and, and a lot of that stuff going on with lawyers as lawyers will do. Um, I, I I don't think Florida is is so like when Darren Heitner was on, he was like Florida is in position or or the best at you know NIL right now. I think okay, they could be in position. I don't think they're the best right now, but I don't think NIL was the driving factor um, here. And I think Florida, uh, I'll just, we'll leave it at that. Hmm. You don't think, think Florida was the driver? I mean, this whole thing has been, to me, NIL-wise. So yeah. I don't think at the final finish line, it came down to anything else. That's just me. Uh, I don't think Florida moved. was outbid. Oh, oh no, that's no, no, different. That's different then. Yeah, but that's, what I was, that's what I was trying to uh, walk around. Yeah, no, I, I do think that this certainly is a. I'm not gonna say outbid, but from what I heard, there was some like immediate uh, stuff that was happening too that that Florida wasn't gonna play a game in if we want to do some NU window type shit. There was yeah. some there was some immediate stuff that 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 from our side we weren't gonna play games with um, because there's no certainty in any of that. Um, mm-hmm. People and just from like rumors and smokes in the past, we know kids that are ran with bags mm-hmm. in the recruiting department, man. It's yeah. pretty much just deposit with no well, with no uh, guarantees. And, I, and I've said this to Scott before. I probably should have said it in our interview. Um, if, if I'm doing 140 miles an hour on I-75 South tonight and there's no cops, 
Was am I breaking? Am yeah. I breaking the law? Like, if the law is seventy miles an hour on seventy-five, and I'm doing one forty, but there's no one there to enforce the law, am I? Am I breaking? It? Now, I think there's a difference between the, breaking and enforcing. Yeah. No, nah, but I like I like what Nick is taking it because that's the thing. We're we're playing by rules that nobody else is playing by. Is what Nick's that's, saying. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. And, and it's right. like, listen, if Florida, if you want to, if you want to drive, you know, put it on cruise control at seventy-five. Because right. like, hey, we'll we'll play the game and we'll play it a little bit and we'll go a little bit faster than maybe we're supposed to, but we're not going to be speeding. If, if no one's enforcing it and the NCAA is the meme of that security guard who wanted to be doing anything else, you know, letting people into a stadium, if that's how the NCAA is enforcing it, you're going to have schools that you're competing with. Right. Driving 140, and, As they should. and are you left? Are you going to be left behind? Because Emma been driving 200 for like forever. So yeah, better hit giving their kids the cars to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think Florida. You know, my, my stance on this is, I think that Florida is positioned long term, uh, fine in NIL. I do think that they're. You know, just from conversations that we have, and we're not going to put them out there on the, the airwaves here, but certainly conversations that we have that Florida probably is playing a very different game than, than some other schools are right now and what that looks like uh, and how long that's sustainable for UF to continue to play, or to not play in those games and what that means for their future and how long do those schools that do play those games, you know, is there ever going to be an enforcement? And I think if you remember our Scott Strickland, you know, interview, I think that he's got a lot of questions about the NCAA's enforcement, uh, you know, strategies and, and what they don't do. Uh, if you read between the lines there. So, um, you know, certainly to compete right now, there's a lot of, rule bending uh, and, and, you know, blatant rule unfollowing. And if you see some tweets, I mean, they're out there. I mean, there's people out there, attorneys uh, and businesses, right? If you want to call life wallet a business, incriminating themselves on the internet. Will anything happen? That's up to the NCAA to enforce. And if it doesn't, then why continue to play by rules and hamstrings? It's a frustrating part. It's a frustrating part from the fans. Like we've been hearing that song forever. Like, Mm-hmm. All these teams are going to eventually get caught and we'll be in a position to, to, to reap from mm-hmm. it. Bro, nobody's getting caught, you know? And the, and the teams that are getting caught, they're getting slapped on the wrist. It's like no real consequences, man. Are we going to play this game and compete for national championships or what? Yeah, I mean, Will Wade and LSU got caught, you know, with a wire by offer. the FBI. And what Strong happened? Strong ass off. Huh? Yeah. Bro, Nick Saban, Nick Saban <laughs> and Jimbo Fisher snitched on each other on 4K and nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> on 4K. On 4K. Snitching on 4K. What are we talking? And the NCAA is just like, uh, they just haven't put their dentures in. There's no bark. There's no bite to the bark. Um, and, and that and that's where Florida is. And, and it, it's a good question to ask. And I think I know Scott's answer is, we are going to continue to play by the rules. And, but then the follow-up is, what are the rules? There are no rules. If there are mm. rules, they're not being enforced. So are there rules? There aren't. You're playing by some arbitrary rules that you're putting right. on yourself and you're falling behind. And and that's I think that's just what the University of Florida, the University Athletic Association at Florida is going to do. They're not mm-hmm. going to play the game that you clearly see as being played everywhere else because there's Absolutely. no repercussions to sure. getting caught doing any of this. Let's and it talk, shouldn't that, be a surprise, right? Sorry, so yeah. it shouldn't be a surprise. Linda Taylor was on the show 
eight, 10 weeks ago, whatever it was. And she said they're taking a conservative approach on all this. So none of this should be, you know, a huge surprise. And I know it's disappointing, you know, probably to fans that see these numbers getting thrown around. But, you know, at the end of the day, none of this should be a surprise since what happened in the 80s. Yeah, I'm still, surprised. I'm surprised. Still hangs over. I thought when it, when, 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 it, when they even the playing field, we was going to even and start getting busy a little bit. So I am surprised. Um, Let's talk about – I got to grab my charge. Let me, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the kid that, that – we had a kid that visited and, and, and popped as soon as he leave campus, um, what's the lowdown on that, Nick? And, uh, real quick, Florida State. He committed to Florida so, State as soon as he left campus. So to me, um, if your de- if your decision is like that, like then you your decision was already made before you went on the OV. Like right. you were gonna commit to FSU. Um, and, and listen, I well, I think we've all said it. Like if someone's gonna pay for you to come up to campus and and whine you, dine you treat you around campus and, and tell you the best thing that's ever happened to, to the game of football, take that official visit. Um, the timing of it to me, I don't think it was a troll. I don't think anything else. I think the kid took a visit that he was offered to him, uh, you know, a free trip to a school um, to be treated, treated like a prince. Um, but if you're going to commit literally still in the car, haven't even gotten out of a greater Alachua County yet. And you're going to commit, you know, after then to me, your decision was already made prior to the official visit. It looks really bad. It does. Florida. That the put- kid is probably still in. If, if he was flying, uh, if he was going to the airport, he's probably firing off or crafting the tweet in a car owned by the university. <laughs> but but let's be let's be honest, right? Like yes, it sucks. Yes, it's a really bad look for UF. It's bad for the coaching staff, whatever. But like I would rather you do it sooner rather than later, right? If you're going to commit and you're going to stay locked in and you say, "Hey, I'm shutting my recruitment down." Like shut it down and focus your energy somewhere else, right? Like I'd rather him shut it down now than four months from now and you you spend that time and you know the kid's mind was already made up so i mean i guess that's my position on it like it sucks that it happened right after but also if you know and the kid says hey you know this is where i'm going cool like if you weren't going to come here we don't have to spend our valuable time money and resources on you anymore so yeah you know at least you at least you get to save that piece of it um just so, bad, bad, bad on the eyes, right? Uh, yeah, kids, especially with like, everything else. Everything optics, else is going optics on. Optics is nasty. Nasty work on the optics, <laughs> man. Nasty. They're just. Uh, not- I do, I do, I do like the nasty move for Florida State. Uh, shout out to Acme, but we got to pay them back for that. We got to bring Kodak or somebody mm. to their field. We got to do something real ignorant about that. <laughs> get, I don't like that one bit. I ain't like that then. Not like, like that, that one. one. That disturbed bit. me. That disturbed me more. We shot. I like. Well, we got Mike Norvell doing stuff like this, bro. What's going on? Mm-mm-mm. Can't have money, Mike. Can't have money, Mike. Throwing in the Mike, mud man. like this. EBT Mike can't be doing stuff like this, man. But like you said, it was, it was a setup. It is what it is, man. We got to yeah. land something though. We got some some uh, decision dates on the horizon that we of guys that we got to yeah. land. Yeah, so um, Derek LeBlanc, uh, top uh, 100 defensive lineman, uh, announced today his top three of Florida, Oklahoma, and Penn State. Uh, He is going to announce on July 28th. Those originally scheduled for July 23rd, then scheduled for mid-October, and now uh, going to be July 28th, six foot, four and a half, 270-pound uh, defensive uh, lineman, um, definitely a guy uh, that Florida um, is trending for. If you look at the recruiting prediction machine on three, um, a guy that 
I think Florida needs. Uh, he's a, a big name, big prospect. Uh, you could be, you know, one of those those game changers at UF. But I been certainly been on campus a thousand times like everybody else. I'm sorry, Dan. Go ahead. Yeah, no, been on campus a thousand times. We've had a lot of people on campus, so a lot of times uh, in Florida's not getting those guys. So um, maybe they've been on too many times. Like you know what. I've spent an entire no. It's a, here. here's my thing. It looks like they love it. We leading for these guys from AJ. You think about it. Even when we got Tony Rashada, Mitchell. Yeah. Tony Mitchell, we leading for these guys, and then decision days get changed. Something's happening in the process, but the visits mean that there's some rapport, there's relationship yeah. building that's actually working. There's a rapport between the staff and these recruits, but something's falling apart when it's time to decide. Either dates are getting changed or we missing. So it's business that's going down. Like it's very clear to me what's happening. Um, these guys are doing very great when it comes to like building up, getting kids on campus, the frequency of visits, uh, the kids being engaged on social media with whatever mm-hmm. social media stuff they're giving them. All that stuff is smooth and better than the last staff. But um, we got to figure out how to close. And that's that's business right now in 2022. We're closing on recruits. It ain't just uh, come play for this logo and education. It's a little different. Yeah. yeah, Florida's still probably looking to close on their first big national um Recruit, I would say. Um, and that's right. not diminishing anybody. You know, Isaiah Nixon's very highly rated. Nijay Harris, you know, had a lot of offers. But Florida's probably still looking for that one big national splash and getting a guy like Derek LeBlanc would certainly be great. Uh, getting a guy like Cormani McLean, right? I mean, you're starting to get to a point where you have to win some of these big uh, national battles. Um, you know, Florida at one point was trending heavily for for Trayon Webb and for Cedric Baxter and, and we're involved heavily in some some big running back sweepstakes and who knows you might not get any of those uh guys right now and you know Florida is right now trending for Andy Jean four-star wide receiver uh that was committed to Miami at one point but again probably not a huge national battle right so Florida in my opinion is going to need to land one of these big you know national battle recruits here pretty soon um because it's just not been a good been a good you know four or five months for for UF recruiting in that regard. What are we hearing on Eugene Wilson? He'll be one of them guys. There's been a lot of smoke. He's been tearing up at camps. Any any smoke there, Nick? Been some smoke on the on the boards. Nothing? Nothing there? You, you're Never muted. Nothing for me. I, I mean if you if you were if you were to ask the people that might know, you know, there was uh, some discussion that I might be committing this week. Um and that was last week. Um or you know up through today. Um you know, I, would yeah, close. Um, I, close, I, would, I would feel confident, but you, like you said, you got to close. Right. There's, been a, there's been a lot of confident feelings. Yeah, I feel confident about LeBlanc, but I'm also like now, I'm just like, bro, I don't know what to expect, bro, because as soon as I get confident, we get my, the rug pulled up front, up under me, man. So just kind of vibing. We'll see what happened. But LeBlanc made his, his – like he had just left Florida when he mm-hmm. made that decision of I'm not going to October, now I'm going in July. Uh, but like we said, man, um, these kids can love us. They can love Billy. They can love the program. Visit a million times. But if a few hundred thousand dollars is going to swim, then we got to start playing that game. We can't sit back and mm-hmm. keep posturing and saying we're not playing that game yet. Uh, we're going to wait and see. Yeah. July 28th is a Thursday. Um, he is slated right now to go to Friday Night Lights, which is on that Friday, July 29th. Uh, let's see. Let's give a quick shout out to our friends over at Alumni Hall. Visit alumnihall.com. Get your UF gear, whether it's shirts, sweaters, cups, mugs, coasters, uh, golf head covers, whatever the case may be. Uh, we are just a few weeks away from them uh, dropping the new Nike and Jordan apparel before the season. 
pardon me, before the season starts, visit alumnihall.com or visit them in Gainesville on Archer Road. Um, Wyatt Langford, uh, named first team All American by D1 Baseball, obviously had a great season at the University of Florida, tied the school record for home runs. Um, congratulations, Wyatt Langford. Nick, you want to close out the baseball part of the uh, this segment with talking about Wyatt Langford and then uh, a couple baseball transfers? Yeah, um, Wyatt Langford finally getting some first-team recognition. This one from D1Baseball.com. Um, they're kind of my go-to source for baseball news. I've had a lot of people asking me, like, where do you go for baseball recruiting? And kind of like Morgan, the way she said it, uh, it's way different than football. Um, guys commit at 15, 16 years old, kind of just bob out until they, until they get to campus. Um, but there has been uh, – the, the transfer portal is – not new, but new to baseball. Um, so I think they're trying to figure out what, you know, baseball is going to be, um, what, what, how the transfer portal is going to impact it. Uh, Florida's now had seven guys enter the portal. Uh, Matt Cassetti was a catcher. Um, he's just looking for time. I think Florida, we all, we're going to have to watch the draft, which will become uh, less than three weeks away now. Um, have to watch the draft. If Florida can get this kid, Luke Hyman, to campus, this is a, a, a power bat, like a, a stud catcher. Um, Florida also thinks that Renee Lastress will be able to play by January. Um, he's coming off of Tommy John surgery, a catcher. Um, so if that's the case, you've got two really good catchers and BT Ryapel should be coming back. You've got three catchers now. Matt Cassetti just looking for playing time, um, and he's got two years to play. Um, the other ones as well. Um, no real surprises. Nick Pogue, um, if you look at Florida's pitching staff, um, the weekend's pretty set with uh, Jack Caglione, Pierce Capala, and Brandon Neely. Um, he doesn't want to be as as somebody who's already graduated and, and will get a, a graduate a certificate program. Is that what he said, Dan? Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to go look. Nick Pogue is going to sign. Um, and if he doesn't sign, then he'll play one year else where he's hoping he can pitch on the weekend. Corey Robinson was an outfielder, um, freshman last year. Carl Hartman was a freshman last year and Timmy Manning. Um, uh, no one really big surprises there. Jorge Degotti. Uh, um, the only one I was surprised at maybe a little bit was Chris Armstrong just cause the timing of it. But again, a guy who's been on campus for a long time, um, didn't get a ton of playing time last year, had to split time at first base, um, just looking for an opportunity to play somewhere um, else and get, um, you know, some more innings, some more at bats. The two commitments that they have picked up Colby Thomas, who is an outfielder from Mercer and Dale Thomas, no relation, uh, an infielder utility guy from coastal Carolina. Um, Colby will be interesting. He is a potential Third top, he's a potential top five round pick in the draft that's coming up in a couple weeks. It could be Florida could be just being used. A commitment to Florida could just be being used right now for him as a negotiating tool. When you get drafted and and you're negotiating your signing bonus, uh, the logo of the University of Florida holds more weight than Mercer. Um, if he's a, if he's drafted in the top three rounds, I don't expect him to get to campus. Um, if he goes to fifth round or something like that, you know, maybe it'll be interesting to see. Um, he's a kid who has a, a lot, a lot of power in his bat. And then the uh, 
the last one, Dale Thomas, is a guy I think kind of completes your infield because uh, you're going to lose Josh Rivera, but you get Derek Fabian back, you get Colby Halter back, uh, and, and I think Colby at, at third, Derek at short, uh, and then Dale Thomas can play second. Um, he's played second, third, and short, but I think he'd fit in there at second base, and, and you've got your outfield set. I appreciate that news, Nick. Yeah. Yeah, you look that's like a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, gotcha. I'm going to have to re-listen to that one again. Um, names coming and going. Uh, Nick, Silk, you guys see uh, Anthony Richardson showing off his arm at the Manning Passing Academy. Bro, guy's got a cannon. Just He's got a cannon. Just slinging it. You're on, so you're on, you're on mute. mute. Killed my effect a little bit. It's going up this fall, man. Yeah, it's, killed, it, it's going up this fall. I'm, I'm excited about uh, all the football season, bro. We got to see him jump over people. If he's healthy, man, college football lookout, dog. I think he can elevate the play around him. Uh, but it, it was good to see like him being that leader out there pitching around and the, the, the scouts and the coaches around him, their faces hey. watch him just fling that mm-hmm. thing down the field, man. Um, they are special. You know, he's got to put it all together this fall, dog. At the risk of ruining my brand, which uh, Dan has given me as negative Nick, um, I was I was I was doing some answers um, for our Georgia site, um, and as I'm like writing them, I I think I even put like Anthony Richardson has Heisman dark horse potential. Like that's the that's like the ceiling I can see for him. Like that's the kind of player he is. And right. and the guy hits me back and he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Listen, dude. Like I'm not saying he's gonna win the Heisman, but I'm saying like if if he." realizes his full potential that's the kind of player he is he has the potential to drag a mediocre florida team to like 10 wins i mean like that like that's how good he is yeah i mean the the sports betting books let me just look it up i mean the sports betting books have um him in the top i think 15 let me just pull it up here uh real which i mean doesn't sound while you look it up i mean that doesn't sound great but there's 200-something teams, you know? uh, There's 130 teams with 85 people on them, right? Um, Yeah, I'm still in baseball mode where there's 300 teams. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly, he's somewhere in the top 15. He might be in the top 12. Um, I mean, that's certainly very high, uh, you know, for a guy that didn't, you know, play a ton last year, certainly had, um, you know, some some big games against USF and, you know, some other – you know, certainly highlight real type stuff, but didn't play a ton. But obviously a guy that's being talked about a lot, you know, and is a guy that's being talked about if he has a good year, you know, it could be a one and done, you know, to the mm-hmm. NFL next season. So um, a guy that we know has all the physical tools, uh, you know, but it was great to see him not only sling the ball downfield, but be accurate downfield yeah. too, right? Obviously it's not the same sure. as, as game time, but very impressive video. Uh, I read an article uh, yesterday. Uh, that mentioned him and Will Levis from, or yeah, Levis from Kentucky uh, as being really the two standout quarterbacks uh, at the event. So, um, you're certainly looking forward to seeing some some balls in the air. Pause. Pause, man. <laughs> pause, or man. was that pause, or was that a great segue? It is a great segue to our manscaped ad read. Yeah. Guys, it'll be a two hour and. 40-minute show today. It's all food. It's not fast food, man. Real good. Wholesome food for the people. Uh, Shout out to the great folks at manscaped.com. It's hot ball season. It ain't just ball season. It's also hot ball season. Be sure to get that ball deodorant, keep them things cool, keep them shaved as well, man. 
Uh, don't be Harry Larry. You got to groom yourself, fellas. It's 2022. Uh, also, we have the weed whacker. Keep the nostrils, man. Flowing straight. You know, breathing all good. No ear hair, any of that stuff, man. Groom it up. Uh, they have uh, shower products. The lawnmower 4.0 is a razor you can use in the shower, man. Uh, don't worry about getting electrocuted or anything crazy. Also has a light if you like to take showers in the dark. You never know, man. People be setting the vibe when they take a shower. Me, I bring the sound bar in there. Uh, uh, I like a little candle, but if the candle don't work, uh, I have a light on the lawnmower 4.0, man. Uh, be sure to use coupon code SG20 at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped.com, the best of man grooming. Groom yourself, man. Take care of them family jewels. Uh, Nick, uh, Silk, you had the song of the week last week, right? Uh, all freestyle there. Yeah, yeah, I had, I had the song. Uh, Nick, which song of the week, my friend? La- I, was it the last show that you had your pirate dance jingle, or was that the <laughs> show before? Pirate uh, dance jingle. <laughs> pirate dance jingle. Which is also a bag. Nick is still Nick got the bags, man. You still muted, bro. That's <laughs> how terrible that song was. It's, it's my song of the week. Uh, the Sea Shanty was, is a banger and slaps. No debate. Yeah. Um, yeah a lot of debates. Switching. Uh, we're going we're gonna to switch All up. The we're still debating, actually. Yeah, yeah, sure. there's, the debates were done, uh, and we came out victorious. Stop the count. Uh, we're good. Looks <laughs> um, like one of the go. rest from the game last night. I'm I'm switching yeah, up genres. Uh, switching up genres. We're gonna go with a little country this week. Um, great artist, Dan will know him, Randy Travis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the song is called "I Told You So." Are you stereotyping song. me, man? How you know I don't know? Uh, you, you know Randy you Travis. Know. You know Randy Travis. I do. I know Randy Travis. What do you got? I don't know uh, if I know. Three. He's got three wooden crosses. That's uh probably the the one Sing that it. most Sing people. It. Sing it for He's me. got three wooden crosses. Um, I ain't got that one on the playlist at all. It's about it's about Jesus. Um, you know, forever and ever, Amen. Forever and ever, Amen. I went to a black church, bro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got. Um, <laughs> I don't know none of that, man. He's got. That? My love is deeper than the holler. Oh, I know that uh, one. Yeah. Oh, I know that uh, one. What else know that one? That used to come on has, in, in inspiration. Um, up bones. He's got a lot. Randy yeah. Travis has been around. Um, unfortunately, suffered a stroke a few years ago. Uh, oh, man. But um, one, of, one of country music's elite uh, singers. Is it country the, uh, gospel? The like, what's his what's his lane? What, what is accent, yeah, I think it was mainstream, but probably more gospel. Definitely more faith-related type stuff. Yep. All right. Okay. That's a good song, though, Nick. And now the internet has me singing all sorts of Randy tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah you're singing a lot of Randy songs. So you, you, uh, I can tell you, you go stupid. You go real crazy at the karaoke at nights. I can tell, uh, Dan. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I like it. Man, uh, hey, Carrie uh, Underwood redid the song too, but we're gonna go with Randy's. Yeah. Movie. All right. Um, shout out to uh, to friend of the show, personal friend, um, Paul Salmon's birthday today. Happy birthday, Happy birthday Paul. Paul! Oh, and I forgot. Uh, I had to give a shout out to uh, my baseball community over on Gators Online. I told them like three weeks ago I was going to give them a shout out on the podcast. Almost forgot again. Uh, so shout out to those guys in, in the DMs on the on on three. Oh, it goes down in the DM. Shout out to my my, my roll up varsity dudes, man. Uh, Connor, 
uh, uh, my man Spin. Not I'm saying Spin. <laughs> Sticks. Sticks. Shout out to my man Sticks and Connor holding it down with Roll Up Varsity. If you guys haven't checked them out, they holding it down on the recruiting on the Roll Up Network. Man, get them guys to subscribe or follow on Twitter, Instagram, all of that. Man, uh, we got some stuff cooking, and uh, you guys gonna do some some great things in that market. So shout out um, to them. And I know that you have something else that's cooking. Uh, Silk with Bubba Caldwell on D Web. Yeah, I got something cooking, man. Some visual content uh, with him. Uh, th- with both of those guys, uh, Caldwell already has a production team and crew. He shoot a lot of like professional stuff already with BT Soul, and he's up in Atlanta doing his thing. But they reached out, and we got something cooking. Also, uh, Adrian McPherson from Florida State, man. I got, I got, I got a few things cooking uh, with the network. I love it, man. Well, boys, hell of a show. Um, see you at the same corner, same time. Next week's yeah. 4th of July, so we got to figure out our schedule for recording then because I assure you I will be getting lit. Yeah, Big Bender vibes. With the fireworks. Big yeah. Bender vibes. Are you, bringing, Bender are, you, vibes. are you bringing that little-ass cannon back up? I should. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, got to celebrate the 4th with a bang. <laughs> All right, Boys, we'll here, see man. you at the same corner, same time next week. Suppose I called you up tonight. And told you that I love you And suppose I said I want to come back home And suppose I cried and said I think I've finally learned my lesson And I'm tired of spending all my time alone If I told you that I realize you're all I ever wanted And it's killing me to be so far away Would you tell me that you love me too And would we cry together Or would you simply laugh at me and say I told you so got down on my knees and told you I was yours forever would you get down on yours too and take my hand would we get that old time feeling would we laugh and talk for hours the way we did when our love first began would you tell me that you've missed me too and that you've been so lonely you waited for the day that I returned And we'd live in love forever And that I'm your one and only Or would you say the tables finally turn? Would you say I told you so?